Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. This is Contrarious Live, and I'm going to be speaking to uh, a young friend of uh, Joshua, who I did a uh, podcast with recently. That was Joshua <coughs> that I did the podcast with. But uh, we'll have some dead air here, and uh, it started just a bit. I'll have to edit that out. It, it may not be a podcast, but I just record this stuff, you know, just in case.
Are you there? Hello? I thought I heard you say something. Can you hear me? Hello?
Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? You can't hear me? Hey, Waleed, can you hear me? Hello?
Hey, can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? All right.
Hello? Yeah, you there? Huh? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, finally. Am I coming in clear? Yep. Okay, good. Man, I don't know why that's so difficult to figure out. That's ridiculous. I, I, I didn't want to uh, try to explain this in text, but um, yeah, I, I actually tell people virtually every person that interacts with me. And this is not mm -hmm. based on my perception. I mean, obviously, I observe this kind of thing, but uh, every single person has stories about what happens when they talk to me. And the reason we know that something is going on is because they say that when they call other people, all these problems don't happen. So it's not some kind of a theory. Okay. No, I'm, I'll, I'll, be the first, I'll be the first to admit this, that I've never had these strange problems happen calling anybody else. It was just well, weird. Well, they are stuff. Also said your phone had a glitch. What do you mean by that? I, I thought it was my phone that was glitching out, but I guess it's something on your end. Because every yeah. time I try to call you, it does, it does weird things. Yeah. I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah. Well, like so you can hear me, but I can't hear you. And or sometimes it'll just uh, it'll tell me that you're in the middle of a call when you're not. It's just ridiculous. Right. That's what it said on Facebook. But yeah, that's actually something I had a question about. If you think that they're, and once again, I'm not trying to attack you or anything, but if you think that they're legitimately suppressing you, why don't they just shut down your podcast? Because your podcast, it seems pretty fringe and something that not many people know about. I, I don't see it being a huge threat to the ruling elite. The number one threat to the ruling elite is ideas and concepts. In other words, that equates to the word truth, which people are confused about today. And so every, I mean, this is this is my belief, okay, but every person is protected by God moment by moment. And um, if you die something other than a natural death, or perhaps if you do die a natural death, just like, you know, old age, uh, God's involved with that. Mm -hmm. he, he lifted the protection. But if God's protecting you, nobody can do anything to you. It doesn't even matter who you are. You could be evil. You know, God, it says Absolutely. that he, he raised up Pharaoh. There's actually a verse in the Quran that says that. It says that he raised up uh, Pharaoh for this very purpose. Well, if, if God wants Pharaoh to fulfill a purpose, then uh, no creature can impede that. You can't do anything to stop it. So, 100%. Right. But yeah, like, I, I read something like that. It's a similar thing in the Quran, where it says that God does what he wills, and there's nothing to object him. He creates things for a purpose. Okay. I, I don't know if I fall into the predestination crowd, or at least the, the hardcore Calvinism predestination thing. I, I have sort of an open theistic view, but yeah, I do understand that, that if God wills something, it happens, and there's well, nothing anyway, to object it. Well, that's not what open theists believe. But anyway, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background? I mean, uh, what did you do? Grad, are you graduated yet? Mm, yeah, I actually graduated high school a few, not a few years ago, a few weeks ago, actually. Uh -huh. I got out of that. It, it, it was an absolute nightmare. I didn't get along with anybody. People hated me. I had no friends. And I'm glad I'm out now. Because, I mean, you can imagine what happens to people who wake up in high school in today's day and age. You can imagine how insane teenagers are. I mean, they don't have a clue what's going on. Uh, believe it, me. It, was, it was a rough experience. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, 
I'm just saying, you know, I uh, observe humans a lot, and um, they're rapidly devolving right now. It's uh, unbelievable. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot good to say about human beings at this point. I don't even, I'm not convinced that they are human. I'll make an argument that they're not. And there's no, there's, I come out and say crazy stuff on the show. It's impossible to prove that anyone's a human. <laughs> you know what I mean? How do you do that? You're going, what? See, I'm a devolutionist. No, okay? I, I'm a devolutionist. I, 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 I agree so, with you to a certain extent. Because actually you do, categorizing what humans are, it's difficult. Now, when you devolve, you can't devolve for all eternity. So eventually you're going to cross a red line. You're no longer human anymore. You're not fully human. And no one can prove that our DNA has not devolved to the point where, you know, God, quote, unquote, it all depends on his opinion, not the opinion of man. If God thinks that we're so, um, have such a radical defect now, uh, he may not even consider us to be human anymore. It's just a word anyway. It's a weaponized word to create confusion in the English language. But anyway, um, were your parents um, immigrants from uh, Pakistan, or one of them? Mm, yeah. yeah, they moved here quite a while back, maybe 30 years ago. Uh-huh. They escaped Pakistan. After they got married, they came here. Yeah, my grandmother... So, uh, uh, of course, we're all, we're all immigrants going back far enough. My, grand, my grandparents um, uh, were you know, immigrants from Ireland on my dad's side. You're Irish. It's pretty cool, yeah. actually. Yeah. Do you have red hair? Uh, we do on my dad's side, but uh, on my mother's side, uh, we look more like German English, something like that, you know? Mm, I see. They're supposed to be Jews um, on my mother's side, but there's no way to prove those kind of things, according to what I believe. Yeah, genealogies is difficult, and the Bible is correct when it says, do not confuse yourself over endless genealogies. That is absolutely true. Well, that was, uh, that was written back then when they actually had genealogies. We don't have any. I mean, I'm talking about a continuity between today and the first century, because that's what you want. Uh, we don't have that. They're, the <laughs> it's gone. But they're, you know, genealogies are reliable going back, you know, a couple hundred years, but not a thousand. Can't. Well, they had their traditions to pass on, I'd imagine, back in the day. But oh, today, yeah. it's, it's broken. So when when we go back and try to study genealogies, we're trying to dig up these traditions which have been broken for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. So it's very difficult. They had something going on. Well, ideally, what's supposed to happen, uh, you're supposed to have basically a tribe or extension of a tribe, and they just maintain these oral traditions. They may not have any documentation, you know, down through the centuries. But the problem is there's so much infiltration out there, so much infiltration. There's all these kind of people that are pretending to be Jews for a nefarious purpose. And just because of that, it screws everything up because... um, I mean, you could be uh, from an Illuminati bloodline. It's no big deal because they have lots of bastard children. But how do you know that you are? How do you know that you're not? Um, you don't. So you don't even know where you came from. Um, you can determine certain things, but um, you can't tell what kind of tribe you're from, what tribe of Israel. But I do believe um, in Revelation. I talk about Revelation a lot. And uh, 
you'd have to get revelations that you're not going to be able to prove anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. And that is so true. Um, uh, based on my studies, every single epistemology, it fails under its own weight, and it's not able to solve anything. Cause simply because any epistemology you choose, it, we're all, every single human is a subjective being. There is no way a bunch, an aggregate of subjective beings could ever come up with an objective truth that can never be proven wrong. That's ridiculous. The only way to get an objective truth is to have a being which sees all, knows all, and hears all reveal it to you. So yes, I would subscribe to the revelationist epistemology. There is no other way to know any universals, at least in my studies, as far as what I've seen. Yeah, I would take it even farther. I'd say all uh, human belief systems are, they have major flaws, defects. And, um, <laughs> this, is yeah. also, this is also true for every single institutional system. And um, these things are actually provable. I can prove those things. <clears throat> Well, yeah, you can show logical inconsistencies in these systems. Well, they all have them. But what people do, they well, embrace, that's the thing. Hey, people embrace mm-hmm. a belief system. Uh, this is what people do. They embrace a belief system, then they develop an emotional attachment to that belief system, and then they can't um, critique that belief system. And not, not everybody's like that, but most people like that. They, they, they can't see their own errors, you know. Every belief system has errors. They focus on the errors of other belief systems, right, but not their own belief system. See, well, not only is that something to do with the ego, but a lot of people are financially and emotionally invested into their ideologies, so they can't separate themselves from it. I know when I was separating myself from Islam and the ridiculous insanity that my family was teaching me, there were implications. I'm hated by my entire family because I don't subscribe to their uh, ridiculous cult religion known as Islam, or at least Sunni Islam. Okay, I was just going to ask you what branch it is. Pardon? I was going to ask you you what kind of branch of uh, Islam it is, so yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I reject all of the mainstream sects, Sunnism, Shiism, Wahhabism, Ahmadianism. I think they all have a fundamental flaw in them is that they subscribe to Hadith. I, I would follow a sect of people known as the Quranites or Quran alone. And they're kind of the Karite Jews of the Quran community in that they follow the Quran alone and they try to reject all superstitions, traditions that have come across throughout history. Because I, I find the Islamic traditions to be completely unreliable. Well, all, all traditions are unreliable once you go back far enough. You can't establish any kind of certainty. Well, s- simply because the, the, the modern Islamic traditions are what we get from the scholars today in their Sahih. And uh, if anyone, if any of your audience is not uh, familiar with it, Sahih is sort of the highest grade of tradition in Islamic theology. This to them is pretty much on the level of scripture. And every time when I read the Sahih traditions that are coming from Muslims, they, they completely contradict the Quran. So I have to reject it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Quran calls itself a complete and perfect revelation, so I believe it on that claim. And I believe that it is the only thing that man needs in order to be justified before God on Judgment Day. So that's believe, what it claims for itself. Do you believe it, um, it's possible to prove that the... Um Quran is to be held in at high esteem, or is it theory? Depends on what you mean by proof. That's right. Well, well, how would you define that? 
Well, in Western culture, when we talk about, when we use the word prove, without realizing it, we're actually talking about absolute certainty. But we, but we really don't mean that, that we don't clarify anything, okay? Well, it's very unusual to have absolute certainty, especially when it comes to the kind of things that we're talking about. This is why people are always trying to discover the truth, because it's somewhat obscure, okay? Mm-hmm. But uh, most of the time, we're not dealing with absolute certainty. We're dealing with sufficient evidence. But people don't realize that. I, would, I, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, so you, you can't prove anything absolutely before the 14th century. That, this is what I say. Including the ex- existence of Christ, you can't prove anything with any ancient text, not one single thing, including the Bible. It's impossible. I could explain that further, but um, there's no way to refute that. Yeah, I think that's correct. Well, let me add a little point. If the Christian... History uh, is not... Well, if the... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. In in Christianity, you have what's called a textual critic. Those are people that specialize in in the physical text, you know, the manuscripts. But uh, if, they yeah. actually ha- if they actually had all of the original manuscripts, let's say from the apostolic scriptures, it's virtually impossible mm-hmm. to prove that those are the original manuscripts. So even if they had them, they still couldn't prove anything because they couldn't prove that they're originals. There's no way to do it. All I have to do is posit yeah. the theory that there was an advanced subterranean race that created a, um, a forgery which you're unable to um, discern and then you have to infallibly prove that wrong, you can't do that as a human being. You don't have enough information. So, so see, it's, it's, not about, to admit that. it's not about proving things with an ancient text. Uh, just I don't worry about that kind of stuff. I'm just saying you can't actually... See, I believe there's more evidence that Jesus was a historical figure than anybody else in history because he, ha- he influenced more people, uh, more societies. Nobody's influenced humanity more than Christ. So, therefore, there's more evidence that he was a historical figure than anybody else. But is that absolute proof? No. See the difference between sufficient evidence and absolute proof? You know what I mean? Yeah, people, absolutely. And that, that's, why, that's why I don't, I don't appreciate guys like the Southern Israelite, Drake Shelton, who just thinks, yep, history is just closed. We already know everything that happened. I know that there was this ancient sect of people known as the Nazarenes. And I know that what I believe is exactly what they believed, and they were the followers. You don't know these things. No. It's ridiculous. You're just pulling. And I understand he's using scholarship, but scholarship can only take you so far, man. Scholarship is not scripture. Well, I know. That's why you got to go beyond the book. Because, see, um, see, I hold to the belief that God has concealed things. But even if he hasn't, it's obviously that he's concealing things anyway, because um, he doesn't give all the truth to any one person. And he doesn't do it, you know, when you join a religious sect, um, you know, the day that you do that. Uh, let's say if you're a Christian, you get born again. He doesn't give you all this truth. Uh, he dribbles it out, and he never, he never gives it all to you anyway. God's sitting on all the truth. But um, I believe that, that the Bible teaches that um, God has withdrawn truth. And it has to do with... Uh, what I call corporate judgment. That means that everyone's under a corporate judgment. A corporate judgment is like in Genesis 3, but it affects everybody. You can't get out. Even Jesus, you see, he was under a Genesis 3 curse because he was aging. 
And uh, if God had not intervened, he would have eventually died of old, you know, old age. That's the Genesis 3 curse. So it, uh, Israel was under these kind of curses or judgments from God historically. In fact, they were typically yeah. they were typically under these judgments. Now, what I'm claiming is, is that Christians are under the same or similar judgment as well, but they don't know that. But that, that, that shouldn't surprise us because um, every single prophet that God ever sent to Israel uh, basically told them, you're under the judgment of God, or you're going to be if you don't repent, and they didn't receive any of them. You had a remnant, right, minority. They, they received, but the majority never received any of them. They, they were a hard people. They actually killed them. Well, I think that they're uh, more spiritual than what we have today. That's because I'm a devolution. Uh, yeah. so, with me, I always have an ancient mindset, but the reason I have an ancient mindset is because I'm a devolutionist. I'm always looking to the past. Unlike flat earthers who don't pay much attention to ancient cosmologies, they're always deconstructing modern heliocentric propaganda. I don't care that much about modern heliocentric propaganda. It is propaganda. I personally think with the, with the modern flat earth movement, these people are totally inept intellectually. Yes, they're doing good work with flat earth, but their ability or rather lack thereof of an ability to formulate complete and cogent worldviews is just – they can't do it. You just they're, said they're just that. You just said it. I, can't believe you, I can't believe you said that. I've never heard anybody said that. I've been saying that for years. There's, I've never seen anybody with any significant intelligence – I'm talking about the people that have like a YouTube presence. Um, none of these people are very intelligent. I can tell by their no. analysis of, of reality. I mean, they they didn't become intelligent overnight when they believed that the Earth was flat either. Oh, trying, oh it's such a refreshing thing to hear. Just because you believe the Earth is flat doesn't make you smart. I'm sorry, dude. No. That's not enough. Just because you believe in Sola Scriptura doesn't make you smart. It's more than that. <laughs> it's so uh, elementary that it's laughable. It's, it's impossible to prove that the Earth is flat for the simple reason that the, all these people have jumped the gun. You, you, you start off with a correct, accurate definition you know, of the word flat. We don't even have a single authority that can establish that definition, and it's not going to happen because um, there's no institutions that are going to help us. Let's say that you and I are flat earthers, and we need we, a uh, definitive um, definition of the word flat so we can determine uh, whether the earth is uh, sufficiently flat enough to actually call it flat. Okay, who's the authority that's going to establish this? There is nobody. So well, I think the definition of flat would be 180 degrees, a 180 degree line. But I, I think when people call themselves flat earthers, it's just a colloquialism. What they mean is that Earth is more so an extended plane than it is a, a globular model flying through space. But the flat earth, the flat earth is just sort of a catch-all term, something we use colloquially. I understand that. That would be my explanation, at least. But um, what they're doing is they're when when you use the term flat, you're you're denying the the, the potential existence of moderate curvature. The re another reason why it's impossible to prove the Earth is flat is because all I have to do is posit the theory that the Earth actually is slightly convex or slightly concave. And I don't have the burden of proving this because I say that all the cosmologies are unprovable. 
But that doesn't mean you can't prove anything. I do believe you can prove if the earth is not a perfect sphere, but I don't believe you can. You can can disprove, yes. Yes. I don't believe you can prove the exact curvature because um, we don't have access to the technology or whatever is necessary to do all that. There's other ways. You've got to get off the planet, look down, that kind of stuff. But um, that's just the way it works. So um, they haven't figured that out yet. No, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Jaronism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a big name flat earther. He's big in the community. And I just hear his philosophy. And I understand he's doing great work with flat earth, and I appreciate that. And I think he's, to a certain extent, an honest guy. And he's trying to seek the truth, and he's a good person at heart. But he just doesn't know the rest of philosophy. And I'm not trying to set myself up as an authority. I'm still learning. But I'm saying he just doesn't know what he's talking about. He talks about thinking for yourself, but he just repeats ancient uh, enlightenment arguments against the Bible and against Quran and religion. And I just, I have to tune out because it makes me sick. Well, I mean, Jaron didn't know that. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah, Jaron did not know that much in 2015. I don't think he even had an internet presence. So he's one of these people that jumped the gun. He saw an He's like an opportunist. I know it sounds negative, but I mean, uh, there was an opportunity for people literally to make a living uh, on the internet off of the Flat Earth Movement, and uh, he saw the opportunity and he went for it. He worked very hard in promoting himself and hammering away daily on a keyboard. That's what you have to do. And I say that we live in an idiocracy. So if you, you know, make the effort and properly promote yourself. He's a good promoter. I'm not, I don't mean that in a negative way, okay? I'm a horrible promoter. But I also de-promote myself. And I don't get that right now. But um, you will develop a significant following, a <laughs> big following, okay? Uh, but these people, um, they're not intelligent. They're attracted to bells and whistles and uh, advertisements and self-promotion because they have what I call advertisement programming. See, I believe that everybody has programming. It's embedded. Everybody does, yes, including me. You can't get away from it because uh, you get exposed to it if you're exposed uh, to any kind of technology. It's embedded in the technology, and it becomes embedded in you. Everybody, to a certain extent, is a product of their society. There's no just uh, individual sovereignty and freedom and the soul acting on its own, undefiled by the world. That's ridiculous. Even Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, these are all people of their time, including us today. And in fact, even to a certain extent, the prophets of God, they were people of their time. Uh-huh. A lot of them. Well, everyone... So, yeah, continue. Sorry for interrupting you. Everyone's a product of their environment. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Really just take down. You think Socrates was historical figure? Oh, I, I, I just used him as an example because he was the first name that came to my mind. But I, I don't even know. Yeah, well, there's nothing wrong he with just, that. He, I, I have problems with. I just have problems with the Platonic philosophy in general. It seems like something that was. Uh, that we're told as a part of the history, it seems like something that's been edited over time. There's an interesting um, book out there. It's like an elitist type of philosophy. Okay, there's an interesting book out there. I don't know if it's still in print. Uh, it was, um, I don't know, like eight years ago or something. It was written by a Muslim. And the thesis of the book was that uh, Plato 
was heavily influenced by Moses. You know, that'd be, that's the kind of book, you know, even if that thesis is not true, it would make an interesting read, you know, just to hear what this guy has to say, but I never read the book. But anyway. he, didn't, he didn't share his ideas too much on the Internet because I think he wanted people to buy his book. <laughs> Sometimes they do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as as you, Socrates existing, mm, I, I don't know, but I do believe Plato and Aristotle existed. I think we do have sufficient historical evidence to prove this. Because these men, they shaped the societies that they lived in for hundreds of years to come. Well, I believe so. But for Socrates, I don't know, because we, we have nothing from him. We only know of him through Plato. So, Well, if you actually look at, like, you know, I hate to say the word orthodox, because they're really not orthodox. But as far as, the, you know, institutional system, uh, you know, the quote-unquote uh, orthodox historians, they're even skeptical about uh, Socrates being a historical figure. I think he probably wasn't, but uh, you can't prove it anyway. But anyway, you know, um, I don't have a problem with uh, Plato and um, Aristotle. I think that Plato was uh, a luminous, though. Oh, yeah. I was actually just getting into that a couple elitist. minutes ago. That's what I was talking about. He seems to have a very elitist philosophy. The, the rulers of this world, I think they're very platonic in their thought. I, I think they, uh, re- they look at the Republic of Plato with much reverence. That's just my thought. Um, basically, you know, book. as you age decade by de- decade, let's say that you get started early, um, almost everyone tends to have some kind of adulation uh, for these great men, and then it kind of dwindles slowly as you age. It may take decades, but um, uh, a lot of kids, they get in, it's kind of like hero worship. They don't really realize it. I, I was probably kind of like that too. I, I really liked Augustine and Origen, even though they uh, they kind of contrast with each other. But I, I liked that what I perceived, you know, to be the truth that both of them had. If you could take both and mix it up, you know, you'd have a, a halfway de- decent belief system, better than what we have out there right now, anyway. But who's going to do that, you know, decide mm-hmm. to prove it? I say that mm-hmm. there's no authority out there. I have to define what authority is. I'm talking about somebody that you can go to and get an authoritative answer who functions as a mouthpiece from God. And so um, we can properly discern reality. Uh, reality has been largely concealed. Uh, that's why there's massive confusion everywhere. It must be concealed because people are highly confused. So... I believe, you know, Adam was the first man as far as uh, the Caucasian appearance. And I believe that back then, you know, they had clarity and he just passed down oral traditions from father to son. And then as time Do you think Adam was a white man? Do you you believe he was a Caucasian man? I don't think he was white, no. Um, Yeah, because I I heard Drake, the Southern Israelite, say that. He said, oh, yeah, Adam was... The first human was a Caucasian white man, and you, the no, white man is the closest about. resemblance to him. And no, the rest Drake of the races are more time, degenerate. Uh, Drake spends too much time uh, writing, typing, uh, talking, um, promoting. Um, you have to think. You're, you'll see right down the line my ideas are more complex. In fact, what I'm going to say to you right now, you probably haven't heard before. This will happen pretty much right down the line. That doesn't mean what I'm saying is true. Okay? Mm-hmm. But um, I don't believe that any, there was any white people back then. You're going, what? 
Yeah, because um, people don't realize that because of devolution, man is sickly, he's unhealthy. And so um, if you have a quote-unquote white man, I mean, we have white men today. I'm just saying that they didn't exist back then. And I, I can't prove this, okay, but I'll take a stab at it here. But uh, if, you, if you're a white person and you go on a fruitarian diet, uh, you will no longer be a white person. <laughs> Your skin will take on kind of a copper tone, and it will get darker, like you have a, like a light tan. And it's been proven. I mean, people have done this before. So it, it's, it's fairly rare for people to become fruitarians. People will talk about it, you know, like a philosophical fruitarian. But you have to do it. I don't know. It's going to vary from person to person. You can't do it like a temporary diet for six months. You've got to do it longer than that. I don't know how long. It varies from person to person. But I do believe that, um, that he had Caucasian features. I, I, I don't believe that you can use the scriptures to, to prove that every – see, we got problems with terminology. We're using the word man. But in the Hebrew, there's different words that get translated man, right? But we know what we're talking about. People that are uh, – they look like um, – well, this is the people in our society, okay? The most important thing is do you have uh, this indwelling spirit? Because I might have to explain that to you, but if you are, you're a, a child of God. I'd, I'd have to explain that too because it will sound new age to you. I believe that every, every yeah. person is a son of God. <laughs> Well, it says there, right in Ecclesiastes 12.7, that when an individual dies, it doesn't mention his soul, because it talked about that earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, but um, it says the spirit returns to God who gave it, okay? So if you want to get the scriptures out and try to prove that we are not sons and daughters of God, then you're going to have to prove that these spirits were not with God. And you can't, not only can you not do that, that's what it says, but you can't prove that all spirits do not go back to God. Let's say that um, you're going to think like a Christian is, so there's elect spirits and there's reprobate spirits. This is true, by the way, I'm just saying it's temporal. If I believe in universal reconciliation, that's the only theology or philosophy that makes any sense. If you are a theist, I have to explain all that too. Could you, could you explain that? Yeah, I don't know what that means. Not right now. Ask me a little bit later. But um, you have to be able to prove that that these, if you want to call them reprobate spirits, you have to be able to prove that they don't go back to God, like the Scripture says. The Scripture doesn't say anything. It just says they came from God, they go back to God. You say, well, that that can't be reprobate. Well, unfortunately, you can't prove that they don't go back to God. If you can't do that, then you cannot prove with your Bible that we're all sons and daughters of God. See, I believe that we were, it's kind of like artificially darkened. Everything is a vessel. This is not Gnosticism, okay? Don't even get me going on that, but um, everything is a vessel of light. That sounds like the way the Gnostics would talk, you know what I mean? And every vessel has images of light and darkness. And I'm saying the determinative cause of the degree of light and dark that you have is not, it's not you, okay? It's actually a gift or a curse, if you want, from God. He's the one that determines how light and how dark you are, ultimately. Yeah, I'm, I've I'm, had some problems with determinism for a while uh, when I studied it. Okay, well, you're a determinist, right? Yep. Yes, I am. But um, you have to understand with me that I'm typically talking about undiscussed middle positions 
right on down the line. And this is why I can prove that not only is basically almost everybody on mind control today, I have to define mind control. And I, there's not even an authoritative difference to that. I'm, but I'm mainly focused on technological mind control. There's ways to actually prove this. Uh, but one way to prove that there's something fundamentally wrong with the human mind that's artificially stunted is that um, these middle positions are undiscussed as down to the centuries. Okay, now if there's just some obscure, yeah. unimportant subject, then it doesn't, it's not important. But these are critically important subjects. I can go right down the line. And you will see nobody discussing them typically, but sometimes it's on the back burner. Okay? Lots and lots of examples. So that will tell you there's something fundamentally wrong with the human mind. And the way that you prove it is through devolution. Devolution is one of the easiest things to prove uh, because the evidence, there's different categories of it. Usually I talk about biological devolutionism, but the evidence for it is everywhere. When I talk about devolution, I'm only talking about one thing. It has to do with the works of God, you know, the crate of substance itself. Everything that God made is deteriorating progressively. There could be temporary upswings, but they're not that significant. But everything is cyclical, but despite all these cycles, um, the downward trend continues. And then you look at these people today, they don't even appear to qualify as a human. They've evolved so far. They act like animals, <clears throat> you know? Yeah, and that's, that's one thing. It makes me think. Uh, I've actually been uh, philosophically contemplating this for a while. Any type, any way that people have made to categorize people and categorize things, like this is a species, this is a genus, it's totally failed. It's all arbitrary. And if that's failed, then even categorizing what a human is is impossible. Well, the, I mean, the categories and how, how things are organized in nature, that, that knowledge belongs only to God. We can't do that. Okay, well, it's let me totally show you how arbitrary. Let me show you how easy this is. I'm going to sink every. I'll back it up. I'll prove it. Okay. This is not a theory. I'll let you know if it's a theory or if it's, if it's something that's provable. Um, there's no way to disprove this. Okay, so um, <clears throat> what have these intellectuals had to say about the? Just give me a chance to explain this, but the subject of devolution is the centuries fly by. Now, let's, let's go to the modern era, you know, post-Darwinism. And there's different mm -hmm. types of evolutionism, there's different types of devolution. I mean, for instance, they have an article on uh, Wikipedia about devolution. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about all, at all. And I just showed you the kind of devolution that I'm talking about. There's no article on it. There's nothing. And the reason is because someone doesn't want you to even think about it. But obviously... You know, when you go through the educational curriculum, get your indoctrination, they give you only one view, just like the same view of a spherical earth. That's all you get. That's a mind control cult, and there's no way to prove that it isn't. If you don't even have an option, if you don't even have a false dialectic, we're in trouble because that's a cult. That's a cultic system. Okay? And so, um, obviously, the subject of evolution is massive because that's all they serve up. Okay, so what is the opposite of... This is, this is an idiocracy, okay? So when you point this out, it's kind of funny. So you can laugh if you want, okay? But what is the opposite of um, evolution? Well, it's evolution. 
Now, the reason I ask that question is because that's going to immediately expose that the subject of devolution is very important. And the reason that the subject is very important is because the subject of evolution is very important. Do you see anybody in this idiocracy trying to lift one finger to refute devolution, including people who don't believe in devolution, like Christians? You realize the consequences of that? There are no scholars. Uh, there's nobody. Now, when you look at one single thing, mathematical, statistical odds, you can't explain that. There has to be some kind of external cause acting upon the mind of man, and this is the every mind, because I've challenged people, show me somebody who's talking about devolution. Uh, Joshua said that Drake was saying something about it. I'd have to hear his view on that. I don't accept him as a devolutionist at all. But there's, there's categories. Yeah, he, 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 subscribes to, I, he subscribes to a Lamarckian devolution. He there's believes a, man has degenerated over the years genetically. Well, and, but the, the supreme apex of man right now is the white person because they closely – or in the, in the most closest they resemble Adam. But yeah, he believes in a Lamarckian devolution, if I'm correct. Hey, that's, that's based on Genesis 3. I mean, Christians, um, they will acknowledge that, okay? They – just cut to the chase, okay? It says in Romans 8, if you think that has any kind of authority, that the entire creation is groaning, okay? Because the entire creation is subject to the fall. If you ask Christians, do you believe the entire creation is subject to the fall? They'll say, oh, yes, okay? But they don't. Okay, because heaven is a created place. Okay? And mm-hmm. uh, the Bible doesn't have to say much about angels being created, and probably the reason is, is because um, the only thing that got created was their, their, their celestial body. We don't even have a theology that's developed enough to acknowledge that. They weren't created ex nihilo, out of nothing. And even if you thought that was true, it's impossible to prove it, and here's why. You can't use uh, the Bible to prove that any spirit is created. It's impossible because there's no text. So it sounds like a really important subject, doesn't it? Well, you better believe it. Can we have a discussion about it? No, there's no discussion. Well, you, I'm talking you can't about in mainstream academia. Could you prove that spirits are created or can we have a discussion about that? No, there is no discussion. I'm basically well, saying I, I that God, God is a curse, and God has um, he's blo- he shut these minds down. He's withholding truth from every mind, and it's obvious if you point it out. And you can have different theories about how this happened. I'm saying God did it, okay? People are artificially stupid, but you can also prove they're on mind control. I won't go at that right now. I'm talking about proving it. As far as you can prove something. And it actually has to do with statistical yeah. probabilities, which, which, you know, as far as we're going to go, the most certainty we have is mathematics. Okay? And this is absolutely devastating, because if you can't prove uh, there's somebody out uh, there that's I, ta- talking I, I about... I would doubt that. Math, math, mathematics is pretty confusing and doubtful. So I'm not talking about I know about if you've studied the history of mathematic, mathematical philosophy over the years and uh, the development of non-Euclidean geometry... And I've read a work, what is it, uh, Drake recommended it, and it's actually a great work. Morris Klein, Mathematics, Loss of Certainty. He goes into how mathematics is completely unfounded. Yeah. It's all abstraction and it's confusing. It's not, it's, 
mathematics, but my point still stands. There's still more certainty in mathematics than anything else. Another discipline has more certainty. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. You know, I don't, you know what I think? I think quantum mathematics is largely propaganda. That's what I think. Quantum mathematics? Quantum math, or whatever you want to call it. They're basically talking over people's heads, and, um, and people think it's profound. They don't even understand what is going on. Yeah, I believe it's used for propaganda, too. Because the mathematics, it's just a, it's a description. They're not, they're not uh, getting any closer to reality or what's really real. No, they're just describing things, and it doesn't explain anything. It's difficult to explain for myself, but mathematics is just a, a weird thing. It's something we don't understand, but it's so fundamental to our experience, and we cannot separate ourselves from it. Yeah, I actually hold to the Pythagorean. Uh... Pythagorean view that everything has been assigned a number by the deity, you know. I can't prove that, but uh, that's what I believe. So mathematics is everywhere. And of course, you got, you know, sacred geometry, the golden mean, stuff like that. <clears throat> that all comes from God, you know. Even the, even the, the angles, um, the geometric angles in a beautiful face are superior to someone who is um, not considered to be as attractive. Even that has to do with geometry. So that is, yeah, I, I would deny the, the sacredness and perfection of geometry. I mean, and if you, if you want to look into that, just look into irrational numbers. Irrational and quote-unquote impossible numbers. When I looked into that stuff, it made my mind just turn upside down. It was absolutely insane. The math, at least in my understanding, it is not perfect. Well, I already it has said, so many problems. It's just something we use pragmatically. No, I already said at the very beginning, there's no um, perfect belief system. Or anything from any institution, mm-hmm, yeah. so that would include that as well. But it's not something I'm going to lose sleep over. <clears throat> mm-hmm, yeah, you, know, you don't have That's something heliocentrists are going to lose belief o- or lose sleep over because they require living, mathematics to be perfect in order for their model to work. Precision. I didn't quite catch that. Could you say that again? I, said, I just said everyday living doesn't demand that kind of precision. Mm-hmm. Well, when oh, you sorry, get older, I've had a question. When you get older, you focus more on what I call practical knowledge, uh, something that's actually useful. I'll give you a good example of that. I had a friend who um, worked at a landscaping company. He had a horticulture degree from the University of Illinois, and he knew all the Latin names for every plant that I could tell. Um, and so, um, you know, when you use these Latin terms, you might recognize something similar to an English word or something like that, or maybe it's actually a, a word that's in rotation, so we're familiar with it. But basically, you don't even know what he's talking about. So the most important thing uh, is communication. We're assuming certain things mm-hmm. like truth, knowledge. So those things reign supreme, but you have to do something with it. So you have to communicate it. So um, it's all about communication and how you do that effectively. And if you're using a technical jargon that people don't understand, um, you can define what, you're, what you mean as you go along, but eventually it gets to be kind of uh, burdensome. For instance, like you go to these messianic Jewish synagogues. These are people who claim to be Christians. Mm-hmm. And um, they keep switching back and forth between... Um, 
they call it Hebrew, right? Even though it's not the original Hebrew, but uh, in English, back and forth, back and forth. And if you if you come into one of these synagogues, you get all confused because they keep. Can you just speak in one language? You know what I mean? They they use Hebrew way too much. You know what I mean? I mean we okay, I get it, I get it. You know, the first century religion was very Hebraic, okay? Um, you don't have to use all these words to prove that, to pound it into our head every single day. What's more important is just communication. Now, take an example of that. Um, if Jesus was to show up today, he would speak in you know, the language of the people, and this is a good argument for why he probably spoke in Aramaic, because that was the language of the people. It wasn't Greek. And so that's a good argument for did the Bible, as far as the Apostolic Scriptures, um, was actually written in uh, Aramaic, but there's other sections that, small sections that could have been Greek and actually Hebrew, you know, but it was primarily written in, in Aramaic, I think. You know, it's, a, it's basically about getting the, uh, the hay down from the barn down to the cows. You know, can you do that? You know what I mean? Um, so when, you, when these people talk, these messianics, they will say the Hebrew and then they'll say the English. Uh, you know, so people understand because they know that you don't understand what they're talking about. Eventually, it's just kind of tedious. Why don't you just speak English? You know what I mean? So the question is, why yeah, are they yeah. doing this in the first place? Well, I would reduce it to the human human ego again. When people learn something, especially when they're young, they want to vocalize it. It basically comes down to, here's what I learned. Here's what I learned. Okay, I want to tell you about what I learned. And I understand there's a natural desire for that, but it fades as you mature. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like I I said, I'm trying to find people to learn. I'm young right now, and I just want to find people to learn from. That's why I refrain myself from starting a YouTube channel or exposing myself into the public sphere, just because I want want to know or I want to be sure of what I know. And that's the problem with this freedom of speech crap. People who don't know anything, they're just opening their mouths and spewing their bile into the Internet. It's disgusting. And everybody's confused. There's so many conjecturing opinions. Nobody knows what to believe anymore. And I, I strictly stop myself from doing that, and I just want to shut up and learn from people right now. That's the phase of life I'm in. Well, I, I've, said I've been recommended by people. Hey, you know, you're you're a smart guy, man. You should start up a YouTube channel. No, oh, I yeah. don't want to do that. No. Right now, I need to learn. In fact, you're learning all mm-hmm. your life, but right now, it's crucial for me to learn and keep my mouth shut. The most important thing, think about things. And this sounds selfish, but it's not. The most important thing is actually you and your learning process. Okay, and uh, if you get on YouTube. And it's just a natural order of things, being a human, and you start, what, you, what happens, you start defending your belief system. Well, your belief system is in a state of flux. You may not know that, because you, the more followers that you get, the more it starts to feed your ego, and the more convinced you that you start, I actually have the truth. But anyway, what happens is you, you get into this defense mode, and you have an emotional attachment to your belief system, and you start, you know, defending, defending it. And what you need to do is actually critique it. But the more that you defend it when you're getting attacked, the less you can see your own errors. And the number one thing that you need to do when you're a young person is discover your own errors, and it takes a long time. And so I say that mm-hmm. nobody should be doing this kind of thing. You know, if you're talking about the kind of stuff that we're talking about, you know, in your 20s, and you should have a mentor actually help you decide See, normally it would be your father, your grandfather, okay? We don't even, these people are not functioning like they're supposed to. 
they help you decide when you would be ready for something like that. But here's the thing. In the ancient world, forget it. Every single uh, society was oriented around an elder statesman. So when you look at the apostolic scriptures, the script, they're not written to a pastor. He's not even in the Bible. The word is only used uh, in the plural one time, and it's in this translation, the word shepherd. <clears throat> but they're written to elders. And who are they? Well, it's not the Mormons that show up at your door. Those are not elders. They're too young, right? <laughs> These are the old people. I, I'm not a Mormons yet, but... <laughs> um, knowledge is slowly accumulated over time. There's nothing you can do to circumvent that. Um, you're probably not going to live to be 100, and who knows how coherent you're going to be anyway. So the only way you can bypass this you know, we literally don't have that much time to learn. You never hear anybody say that, by the way. It's to um, streamline your life. You're actually talking about a contemplative lifestyle where you're dedicated to study. Then you're going to have, it's a sacrificial lifestyle. You're going to have to um, actually probably, depends what kind of, how much you want to sacrifice. See, I sacrificed everything. Job, children, wife, and also status. Because in this consumer society, if you don't make, like, money uh, or build things as something observable that people can taste, touch, and feel or observe, go, hey, he did that, look at that, you know, or admire, then you're basically nobody. It doesn't matter what you say. If you haven't produced something... You can't I, even use yeah, I was just gonna say anymore. People, what, they, what people want is images and videos. You can't even use words anymore. You can't appeal to logic. You can't appeal to anything with these people. They're gone. They're emotional creatures, and that's how they program these people on the emotional level. <laughs> you know exactly what they're doing. Well, I was just going to say, if you, if you can't produce something that appeals to people on their basis level, sort of a sexually and physically... And, uh, yeah, auditorily, they, they don't, they're not interested in it. You they're not interested in give them things. It's not about stimulating your, their, their intellect. You have to give them something they can feel. Isn't that weird? They're feelers. They're not thinkers. They don't even know how to think. I think it's good that people are like that to a certain extent. I think they always have been. Because if everybody was a philosopher, if everybody was like Plato, then you know, who, who would drive the buses? Who, who would build the buildings? I think it's natural that most people are followers and that there are very few shepherders or shepherds, right? Is that the right word? Yeah. Leaders is what I'm trying to say. I think it's a good thing, but it does get frustrating. And it does get frustrating when the group of people that you're trying to teach, they attack you for just trying to show them the truth. Well, there, I'm just, I'm a deep conspiracist, so I will go into detail about people who are actually programmed. I was going to say, oh, they're programmed to attack and reject you. And I could go back to mathematics I've talked about on my show, but all you got to do is say that we're Donald Trump, and you'll see this massive reaction of the great majority of the populace based around this one person. Now, um, mm-hmm. look at, look at the, you have these two uh, polarized groups. Now, they do have some infighting among the Republicans and the Democrats, okay? I don't even think politics is important at all. Just, I think mean, it's just manufacturing. No, it's not. But um, it's, a, to it's a distraction to occupy the people and waste their uh, their energy. Uh, give them something to do. They have they have energy when they're young, so you got to deplete their energy, make them feel like they're accomplishing something. Uh, but it's all uh, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. 
a magic trick. One magic trick after another. You have to do lots of magic tricks to convince these people that, you know, four years have gone by and we can get the job done. We can change this country. That has never happened after four years. No. And yet they're ready to go. They're all excited. They're all whipped up. You watch all the whole country. It's going to be all fixated on the 2020 election. That's going to be the most important election. I don't even know when. And it's, but it's not important because we don't have the ability Dude, I hear, to even choose I, I, president. I, I, it never ends. U.S. politics, I'm in Canada, and I, I never end, like, it never ends how much I hear of this crap. It's a massive deal. People in Canada are debating U.S. politics. It's the most infantile belief. Um, these people are basically gone. So I could go into detail about that, but um, you've got to explain how these people, how this could happen, because it wasn't this way three years ago. How did all this happen? But these people are in mind control, man. They've got nanotechnology in them. And I said on the show uh, just one time so far recently, this is a different kind of mind control. It's very covert. These people appear to be normal, okay? But they get triggered whenever there's a sensitive subject. You start to see what these sensitive subjects are. Then they will, like, fly off the handle, start screaming like these crazy feminists and all this stuff, you know? But become completely emotional. You can't diet. You can't die along with them. You can't. You can't do anything. They just stand there and scream, pound. You know, pound their fists, pound their feet, and they may physically attack you. These people are completely out of their mind. How did this happen? I believe that God has allowed this to happen. It's a judgment, and I actually believe these people are going to be destroyed. And the reason God's not trying to help people right now, I'm talking on the physical level. I'm talking about their physical health. Remember that chemtrails are falling from the sky on everybody, including Muslims and Christians. And the gods of these religions, they're not doing anything to help the people. What does that tell you? This is a desperate situation. These people know nothing. How many pastors know that, you know, this is happening to them? Because it's happening to them. They don't know anything. You know what I mean? Uh, if they do, I'm talking about actually speaking about it behind the pulpit. Yeah, there's pastors out there. They've learned about chemtrails on the Internet. Can you please talk about it you know, besides whispering in the hallway somewhere? No, they're too concerned about their job. They'll get fired. Hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not, they're not going to talk about these things. They, they don't, don't affect their pocketbook too much. They won't even talk about politics. Oh, they'll talk about Trump, and they might throw a jab at him and how because he's unvirtuous and he's a racist, but they won't deal with actual real politics and how the world works. No way. Those are hot potatoes, and it's going to cut off their money spigot. Yeah, but they, um, they don't critique themselves sufficiently to see all that. So they think that they're being totally sincere. They don't think they're trying to hold back. Um, maybe a few of them do because um, it, it's kind of like being a doctor. When you're a pastor, you know, you got a lot of zeal when you're young, but eventually you realize these people are very hard-headed, just, you know, just like the Israelites, and um, very difficult to teach them anything. And there's a simple reason why. They don't have a desire to learn. That's the fundamental problem with these people. They don't have the desire to learn. There's different reasons why they don't have the desire. They're fundamentally lazy, which is another part of the curse. They don't want to learn. They want to be entertained. And eventually pastors realize, you know, kind of, well, this doesn't work, that doesn't work, let me try this. 
the more you entertain these people, and this is not true because if there's people really seeking truth, they'll leave your church. But most people will stay if you keep them growing the thing. And they will be self-deceived into thinking, oh, I'm learning a lot here. I like this church. I'm not learning goodly squats. It's entertainment. But, oh, you, you have to believe that you're learning because otherwise you wouldn't be learning. You don't want to admit that, do you? They actually think they're learning. You can't, you can't even learn that much in church. There's not enough time. You have to go to church five days a week like a Jehovah's Witness. You have, it all has to do with self-education. People don't do self-education. The government uh, doesn't even talk about it. Um, it says nothing about self-education in, in any kind of curriculum because they don't want that. So it's just like a pastor. I mean, you can sit there and listen in for 50 years. He'll never talk about a house church. Ever. See, he has an institutionalized mind. The reason I talk about statistical probabilities is you really think that's a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. There's something fundamentally wrong with the mind of the Christian and everybody else too. These people are messed up, to say the least, okay? And uh, it really doesn't make any sense unless um, he holds a belief like I do that they're going to be destroyed. It's like a, a stage of destruction. I've talked about, you know, in Christian churches, God is not communicating, uh, you know, to these people uh, the dangers of chemotherapy, pharmaceutical drugs, you know, going off uh, in the military to die for your country. Um, he's not communicating all these things to these people. And they're dying left and right. That means that God's not helping them. Well, God... I, be- I, I believe that, that these people are destined for destruction, and I find that within the Quran, actually. So, yeah, I would subscribe to that. Uh, what do they teach them in uh, seminary about health? Nothing about health. So they assume that that's not important because um, they didn't say anything about, you know, in, in seminary. So what do they tell you about seminary, about conspiracy theories? Well, actually, I believe that they are starting to say something. It's kind of like um, going to medical school. In medical school... Now, they don't say anything positive about alternative health, but they will say, you know, you're going to be confronted with these people. You know, some of your patients will be into this kind of therapy, you know. And all they, all they do is just tell you that it's skeptical. Same thing with the pastors. So I'm sure there must be some seminaries where they tell them, well, you know, there's more. Now, things are changing today, and people are moving from television to YouTube, and you're going to be confronted with some conspiracy theorists in your local congregation. Do they say anything positive about that? No. Just let them know, you know, these, you know, the kooky people will come, but you're going to have to deal with them. And just kind of mention it in passing. And that's, all, that's it. In other words, it's almost like they're, they're like the prophet warning you of the unbelievers that will come by and steer your faith away. That's the kind of mindset or the, the way I think of it. The typical oh, yeah, path, there are going to be these unbelievers who come along and they, they will teach you these heresies and you, you better be prepared for them. It's ridiculous. It's, oh, Pastor is so and far don't, don't even get started on pharmaceuticals in the health health industry, quote unquote right. health. My pastor God, my God, so, it's corrupt. Typical pastor is so far gone, he doesn't believe in any conspiracies. He thinks that Oswald shot JFK. He thinks that Pearl Harbor was all legitimate. Look at the mass mind control in World War II. Look at all the Christians in World War II, the little biological robots. These are people that were good people. Where they were praying on their knees and leading a clean life. And guess what else? They also believe whatever the government said. Marched off to war to die. It's like little good little biological robots. Did they question the government? No. 
they were good little citizens. Well, actually, one thing, one thing. It's interesting that you mentioned conspiracy theories because if you mention or if you talk to your pastor about this, and they'll say, "Oh, I don't believe in conspiracy theories." There's a way to deal with every one of these things. So what you do is they gave. How do you deal with that problem? Yeah. <laughs> he just got dropped. Yeah, he got drunk. I've talked about this on the show how to do. Yeah, Waleed? Yeah, yeah. You cut out there for a second. How do you pronounce your name? Waleed. Okay, well, okay. Uh, There's there's ways, I've developed ways to deal with these things as quickly and efficiently as possible without, a lot of times you don't need to argue with people at all. In fact, if you're arguing, debating it, um, you're doing it, you're not doing it right. I mean, sometimes you have to, but typically, you talking about if you get attacked or something like that, okay? Typically, you don't have to because people are so simple-minded. You just put them in your place and let them know that you don't know what you're talking about, okay? We're not going to play games here. You don't know what you're talking about. I already know that you don't know what you're talking about. You're not going to be able to fool me and act like you do know what you're talking about because I'm not going to let you do that. I'm in control here. You don't even know what you're doing. You're a simpleton. So dealing with a sim- simple pastor he doesn't even believe that because um, he has not thought through his belief system. So almost everyone, they hold things that are in contradiction to each other. They don't realize that because they don't go around thinking about their belief system. Okay, it's largely borrowed and it's based on emotions about what they like and what they don't like. And that's their belief system. So anyway, with a pastor, you ask him a question. This is where you're going to back him in the corner. He's not going to take a step forward. He's not going to stand there. He's going to take a step backwards. And how do you do that with absolute certainty? You ask him a question, okay, and he's going to agree with you. (laughs) I want him to agree with me. And here's the question. I could say, could you agree with me that uh, we're going to assume that he believes that Satan's a personal being, okay? Uh, Would you agree with me that Satan is conspiring against God's people? What do you think he's going to That's say? That's exactly what I was going to say. I was just going to say they believe in conspiracy theories too. They, if you're a Christian, you believe that Satan is conspiring to lead your soul into hell. If you're okay. a Christian, you believe that Muslims and uh, Muhammad conspired and he made this massive religion, which 1.4 billion people follow, and it's just a big lie and conspiracy. I mean, everybody believes in conspiracy theories. The mainstream media, who they bash quote-unquote conspiracy theorists, they love conspiracy theories. They have all kinds of their own theological theories. They have a, a male supremacy and a white supremacy and hatred of black people and it just never ends. And freedom okay. of information on the internet. Okay, I'm going to sink this guy and watch how I do it. Now, this is, you don't want to teach him anything. You, are, you actually are teaching him, but it's subtle. He doesn't realize it. You just ask him a question. Every question is a taking a step backward. Now, you, you're not going to take a step forward, and you are going to take a step backward. Here's the next question. Ready? <clears throat> mm-hmm. This is 
he's going to be in for a big surprise, and he'll realize right away he's dealing with an intellectual. And then he'll start to get, uh, unless there's something wrong with him, like he's got a demon or something, he will um, he'll start to go passive. He will not get aggressive. Because he's going to progressively make a fool out of himself. This is how you nail these people. So the next question is, to uh, Pastor Bob, um, how is it humanly possible for any person to infallibly prove that Satan is not conspiring against God's people through, very important, through evil men? How do you prove that he's not conspiring through evil men? As a human being, how do you prove that Satan's not doing that at all? Because if you claim that this is not happening, that's an absolute position. You should understand that a human doesn't know all the activity that's going on out there uh, in these dark rooms and people are plotting and scheming. Only God knows that. Now, he, he knows this. I just accomplished something else, didn't I? There's one more and step. Even, even the eight, even, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I could do this different ways. I could do it with more questions, too, but... So would you agree with me that it's impossible to believe that there uh, is no such thing as conspiracies? You know what will probably happen? He'll get a smile on his face because I just entrapped him. He won't answer the question. Same thing the Pharisees did, see? <laughs> it's best just keep your mouth shut at this point. You're outmanned, outgunned, and uh, if there's people looking on, uh, he just wants to get out of there or change the subject because he's going to look foolish. Because see, like a doctor, Oh, Dr. Dum Dum, uh, in society, this idiocracy, these people were set up as experts. Um, the pastors are religious experts. Religious experts, they can never talk about the biblical church model his entire career. It's called a house church. Can you talk about that one time? No. Why is that? Because when he went to seminary, did they talk about house churches? No, they did not. He's largely, he has an institutionalized mind. He's largely a product of the seminary. Remember what we said earlier, everyone's a product of the environment? Well, that's, that's what he's been exposed to. He doesn't know anything else. That's why you can be a Muslim, a Christian, a New Ager, uh, but if you're born in different cultures, you will take on that culture to some degree, even like the food you eat and stuff like that. Everybody's just what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I'm willing to say that my uh, Islamic background has influenced me a lot. I grew up in a family that's different from most white people's homes, so it's influenced me. It requires you need a degree of humility to admit that that you're not all self-made. You are a product of your society. Like, I wouldn't know the things I do if I didn't have access to the internet in 21st century. No way. If I was living in a right. fifth century BC, would I know the things I do now? No. But people aren't willing to admit that. Well, what, what the flat earthers and all these other uh, armchair philosophers need to understand is that um, when God has concealed something from humanity, he may not do it from all of humanity. He may show it to a few people. Uh, but when God has concealed something from everyone, you can't discover it online because uh, God has concealed it. They don't seem to understand. They think they're discovering all these God secrets or something. Uh, if God's revealed it, yeah, but if God has not revealed it, you're not going to discover anything. God hit it. And it's become obvious. You don't hear people talking about this, but it's become obvious that God's hidden a whole lot of things. For instance, obviously the subject of cosmology is important. And the reason it's important is because it has to do with the structure of reality. Structure of reality is important, okay? Absolutely. 
obviously, if God is sovereign, which they also believe in uh, Islam, he's responsible for all this loss of knowledge about the true cosmology. He also permitted this heliocentric propaganda. And the reason that God has to promulgate this, yes. The reason that God has to be involved is because it's important. If it's important, you better believe he's involved. He, he wouldn't help anybody. He wasn't helping anybody in the 20th century. I'm not talking about single individuals here and there. Sometimes you have that. Sometimes you don't even have that. You know what I mean? But I actually believe that God has begun to restore the true cosmology, but um, I believe it's actually prophesied in Scripture that it will be restored. I think it's kind of, um, he, I think he, what, the, what the Flat Earth Movement is, he's kind of softening up these people so it's not such a harsh jolt. Because I believe that there's a prophet coming, and um, like, you know, um, certain sects of Judaism, and the prophet is actually the Messiah himself. I don't believe he's going to come in the sky. I believe he's born of a woman. I believe he's already living on earth. And I believe that Christ already came in the first century. And that's what the scriptures clearly teach. If a person hasn't seen this so for you, the first time, are you dispensational premillennialist? Or where, okay. where would you find yourself in that? I, have the, I know it sounds kind of funny, but I can, I can back it up. I can sit here all night long and talk about my belief system and people will just fall asleep because it's too complex. It would put you to sleep, but it has precise terminology for everything because I had to develop my own terminology, so it's basically different than anything you're going to get. But here's what's critical to understand. A propaganda in every category is directed to human mind universally, okay? So naturally, you have theological propaganda. And what they do all through history is typically, this is an idiocracy, okay? Typically, it is many, many examples of this, typically they create these, what I call these polarizing errors, okay? Uh, let's take an example. Let's take the subject of hell, okay? So most Christians believe, most conservative Christians believe, you know, eternal hell, right? Now, what's the opposite extreme? That would be different forms of what's called annihilationism, which overlaps with, like, soul sleep, which is what Drake believes in to some degree. He's got his own version. Yeah, Drake's an annihilationist. Okay. One of the ways to observe propaganda and prove the existence of propaganda, again, this has to do with mathematical redundancy, is look at television. Okay? They will only show you one view of hell. I'm talking about in relationship to time. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the only, the only view that they ever show you is eternal hellfire. And you need to stop and think about that. Everybody does. Because that, that will tell you mm-hmm. something. If, if that's the truth, why don't they um, say anything negative about it? Now, I'm claiming, and I well, can't I, right now. I would, say they do say a lot, I, would say, I would say they say a lot of negative about eternal hellfire. The atheists, they have a field day. They're like, oh, how could you believe in this horrible God who says he's loving and says he's compassionate, but will throw you in hell and burn it? it it's, this, it, it receives a lot of criticism, and I believe I know, in eternal hell. What I'm talking about is they promote it so that people hear it. I know what you're saying. They, they, they promote it in the sense that it's heard. They don't necessarily say anything good about it, but they want it circulation. That, that's the point that I'm saying. Okay, so there's another position. And you don't even hear it. 
uh, there's a podcast out there, a, a guy who thought that um, uh, some cosmic pixie dust fell from heaven and you know, blew his mind. So he wants to talk about one single subject, every single podcast. And he wants to talk about how the Bible doesn't teach there's eternal hell. And so he believes the true view is annihilationism. That podcast, he has never talked about a third position. Now, this, see, the truth is commonly found in the middle between two polarizing errors that are actually manufactured. They could be manufactured by Satan or Satan working through men, you know, the Illuminati, stuff like that. But you got actual theological propaganda. You know, but the scripture it's interesting says, um, that you mentioned the, that. The father I, of all lies. But if you can just you know, ponder this principle, obviously you're going to have these middle, undiscussed positions where they're, they're all over the place. That's how you can prove that God's concealing things. So the, the middle position is pretty simple. That's what I hold to. Hell is real. But it's not eternal. You don't hear that. It's as simple as that. Well, then what happens? Is it a correctional facility? You just go there, you burn for a little while, then I don't, you're good? I don't, I don't need to use this term, but it's actually purgatory. What hell is is a mix of purgatory and hell, I want to perceive that. Uh, and the reason I say purgatory is because the nature of it is, is purgatorial. It's, it's actually to cleanse you over the long term. So it's correctional. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a universalist. Mm-hmm. Okay. If, if you're going to be a predestinarian, you have to be a universalist. Otherwise, I think it's blasphemy um, to accuse God of parading most of the human race and not lifting a single finger to do anything for them. He's not trying to save these people down through history. Uh, for instance, well, they made their choices. Uh, I, I would no, say they I'm made their choices. After the first century, I'm appealing to Scripture here, okay? Paul said, how will they know yeah. How will they know without a preacher? Well, they won't know, because you have to have specific knowledge about Christ. It's called the gospel, in order to respond to it. And uh, if, the, um, if you're not exposed to the information, you're not going to be saved. It, just, it doesn't teach that you can get saved through observing creation in Romans 1. That's a fallacy that these people have to manufacture, because otherwise their concept of a loving God is in danger. Like, real quick. Okay, but the Bible does teach predestination, but again, there's a middle position. Not everything is predestined. So you, I'm assuming you haven't heard that before. That's my position. I believe in a mixture of free, uh, freedom of choice and predestination. Okay, what, well, what's exactly really my position. And what, what's really important to understand is that we don't have that much freedom. We have some freedom, um, but see, if God wants to do something, He's going to do it, and he's going to do it 100% of the time. And uh, you can, you no know, human's going to stop it or any other creature, including Satan. Creatures cannot impede the will of God. They're too puny, including Mr. Satan. Exactly. Well, he, well my, my, thought, my thought on this is this, that, uh, if, uh, that God created the world, and it does take, or people do take a form, and they make choices on their own, but God can intervene whenever he wants and uh, plug his will into the situation. But if, if he leaves things to their own devices, they will do things. Well, anyway, I believe that everything that God considers is important or essential. What the hell is that sound? I'm hearing, it sounds like I'm hearing gunshots in my community. What the hell? <laughs> Sometimes demons... Yeah, I'm going the other way. This is a very unusual yeah, conversation. I, I, still, 
Stop and think about how often is a conversation like this going on in the United States of America right now. The reason I say that, I've seen this happen over and over again. Well, demons will get excited. They'll start doing chaotic things, make people do crazy things in the background. One time I got a theological revelation, and immediately there was a huge explosion, one of the largest noises I've ever heard in my life. It was in the local neighborhood. I knew it had to do something with the devil, something, because the timing was perfect. I can't remember what it was, but as soon as I had that aha moment, it's like, kaboom, somebody was unhappy. The demons get upset because a lot of this stuff is hidden or... Not that many people know about it, and they, their business is to keep it hidden. People don't realize it's hidden. They think, you know, whether you're a Muslim or you're a Christian, you think that God's revealing all these things for the good of the people. Uh, actually, the evidence indicates that, uh, no, it's being suppressed. <laughs> well, to, to, to make things a little bit more fitting, I'm actually seeking refuge behind a church right now as I'm talking to you, so that just fits this whole conversation perfectly. I'm behind a Presbyterian church. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking at some of the iconography. But yeah, actually, I, I was w- meaning to ask you a question. What is your thoughts on Islam and the Quran and that whole thing? And why have um, you chosen the Bible as your guidance? I don't. Just so not, I can get to know where you're coming from. You're not going to like anything that I say about that. So that's fine. No, I'm not going to be a, I'm not, I, I'm I'm fine, not gonna get butthurt um, about it. Do you even consider your religion? Do you have a religion? Mm-hmm. That's not a very good question. It's kind of subjective. I mean, you know, you have a belief system that's kind of like borrowed, like most people, or is it just your own? For me? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I would say my belief system, I, I've learned from a lot of people, but it is unique. I've never met another person who believes like me. I have met other Quran alone believers. I've seen them, but uh, they, they all they believe in metaphysics and transcendent realities and immaterial worlds. I don't believe that. I, I've never met another Quran alone materialist philosopher. So, yeah, it seems pretty unique to me. And by the way, uh, this stuff about uh, Drake railing against uh, <laughs> the word uh, metaphysical. He's just setting up a straw man that he can easily knock it down. Uh, you can say all, all, there's all kinds of things you don't like. I, I don't like the word mysticism. Um, so you can rail against mysticism. Okay, You're just spinning your wheels. You're not really accomplishing anything. You're trying to make it easy for you to put people in a box and then just toss them up away. Um, because you believe in metaphysics, so you're never. <laughs> you know I mean? He uses that as an insult. I, I don't believe in using that as an insult, but I, I do think he's correct on what he says that the only reality is a material reality. And any transcendent realities, nobody can understand them or explain them. There's no point in having a conversation about them. Okay. They're, just, they're, they're really nothing. That, that's just my thought. I, I know this is going to sound egocentric, but um, it's going to be like talking to um, almost like a child sometimes. You feel embarrassed for him. Okay? Because there's all kinds of important subjects he's never thought about. And I can illustrate that by simply asking the question, and he's going to decide whether he's going to lie or not, okay? So I'm going to ask him the question, uh, Drake, have you ever thought about the possibility that the spirit realm is uncreated? I already know he hasn't thought about that. Uh, he, okay. has, he has thought about it. He I goes don't into that. Actually, um, 
The, the Neoplatonic philosophy, which he criticizes, it talks I don't, about I've uncreated. Heard, but... I have to see documentation or him talk. I've never heard of anybody do this. Okay? I don't think, I, I doubt, well, I, I can, I can send you links. Okay, has he ever talked about whether or not spirits are created? He doesn't know what a spirit is. He doesn't know what, it, he wants to pontificate about a soul not knowing, but the Bible does not describe the nature of the soul. Augustine talked about that. He thinks he knows what the nature of the soul is based on the written text. It doesn't tell you. Okay? That's why he says there's no such thing as a soul, which is completely absurd. I've never heard anybody say that. Then it becomes his little hobby horse, and then, oh, if you believe in the existence of the soul, then he attacks you. This is why all this is... I'm going to explain to you why all this is absurd. The kingdom of God is made up of relationships. Okay, that's the priority. And you need to put a priority on relationships. Not um, knocking these positions down. The reason this, what I'm saying is important is you can believe whatever you want to about the soul. The reason I say that, I'm taking a Christian apostolic um, perspective. You have what are called essentials. These are things that you must believe, and everything else is a non-essential. I don't care if it's belief in UFOs, Atlantis. All these things are permissible. But for him to see, oh, no, you can't believe that. You can't believe it. Yes, you can. You can believe all kinds of kooky stuff, too, and nobody needs to get angry. But he, he wants to blow up and attack, go in attack mode, and start making demeaning, derogatory statements, like, you know, because you're stupid, because you believe in a soul like all the church wants. This is crazy. It's yeah, he has a very poor temperament. He could prove that'd be different. He, he can't, he's not proving anything. He thinks he's proving things to himself. He needs someone to come along with a superior intellect and go, you didn't prove that. You didn't prove anything. He thinks he's proven it because his position is superior. They could both be wrong. A lot of times they are. You know, he's, he's wrong, and you're wrong, and he's wrong too. You're all wrong. Drake, right? All three of you, you're all wrong. You're all in error. In fact, I was actually well, here to talk. I was listening to him talk to the Muslim, and you know, a lot of times the Muslim was wrong. He was wrong too. Both of them are wrong. I watched his debate today with the Muslim. Oh God, I wanted to throw up. Oh, it made me sick to my stomach. Oh God, the Muslim the don't have a clue what the Drake. Quran says. And Drake isn't. Oh, the geez, problem that was with hard Drake, he always, at least in public, he always thinks he's right. On my show, I say. I've changed my mind more than anybody I know out there. I don't know anybody, period, has changed their mind more than me, and I talk about right on the show. See, people, they want a pastor mentality that makes them comfortable. They don't want their pastor changing their opinion on belief system. That makes them uncomfortable. No, people are, un- people, people are uncomfortable with that. They, the pastor will lose his constituency Absolutely. if he does. I stop and think about it. If this worldview that I'm presenting is true, that the sovereign God has concealed all these things for various reasons, I'm saying it has to do with the judgment, then the truth is largely concealed. And so you're going to find out um, to your own discovery that you were wrong over and over again. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But how many people think that way? See, you got to, and it also helps you be humble. You know, you know every you are wrong and you discover that you're wrong it's a humbling process you know what I mean yeah 
Well, that's that's the position I take. If if I'm wrong on this whole metaphysics thing, if if there is a soul, if there are is a monad and a floaty place, and if Plato's ideas and his noose exist, then you, yeah, I'll accept it. I'm just right now not convinced of that. The reason Literally that and logically speaking, talks about the monad is because he likes to learn verbiage and vocalize it. It's that simple. It has to do with the ego. He rails. He likes against, sounding smart. He rails he likes using big words. He rails against Neoplatonism, and, and he wants to put this label on all these people. They don't, they don't have a complex – they're not Neoplatonists, okay? But he accuses them of being Neoplatonic and, you know, the metaphysics and all this stuff. And um, I don't even know what they believe, a lot of these people. You know, you've got to have a little, little mercy on them, but, that, but he will actually use Neoplatonic terminology – He's actually promoting Neoplatonism by talking about it so much. You know, the monad this, the monad that. It's just a general philosophical term, term for God. It doesn't explain very much. It's really all kind of theoretical. You know, you've probably seen it represented on a piece of paper. It's just a dot with a circle around it. That doesn't tell you all that, does it? I've You're, never learned so much of Neoplatonism until I met Drake. I, I researched it like crazy just because of him. So well, I, I can attest to what you're saying. Yeah. He, he exposed me to Neoplatonic thought. He needs to move beyond all of that silliness and focus on, yeah, there's Roman <laughs> Catholic propaganda, but it's, he needs to focus on theological propaganda. And forget all that stuff way back, because um, you can't even prove that um, the Gnostics even existed. You, you, like I said, you can't prove anything. You don't have certainty. And, you know, it's okay to talk about these things, but... Um, in the end, um, we don't we don't know for certain. Yeah. Well, actually, I would ask you a question. If you can't prove any, this is something that uh, I thought of. If you can't prove anything, can you prove the fact that you can't prove anything? If you could, then that would be a contradiction. It, it just seems like a ridiculous statement to make. And I, once again, I don't mean to attack you. But it's I the know, same I thing with saying, oh, all, 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 all truth is subjective. So wait, wait, wait. Is all I truth subjective that. except for okay. the objective truth of, yeah, if you could explain that. Okay, this is the human condition that we're in. I'm only saying this to use it as an example. You want to, you know, do this and then just throw it away because we don't live this way. This is not the way that humans live, and it's not the way that God wants us to live. But you got to understand that it's virtually impossible for any human. I'm going to set aside Illuminati, okay? I don't know what they have, but anyway... Uh, it's virtually impossible to prove that we're not living in a holographic reality. Okay, so on YouTube, they got all this garbage. It's, it's propaganda to confuse people, or even Christians, too. Uh, you know, we're living in a projection or something like that. Okay, but my point yeah, is a simple it, one. As a all, human, all over you YouTube. cannot disprove that. Well, that means that um, there's no whole, a whole lot that you can prove. But I do believe that you can prove certain things. You know, once you get past that, we're just going to set that aside because we don't we don't live, walk around acting like we live in a holographic reality. Nobody acts that way. It's it's not helpful. It's, yeah. it's, it's a dead end. That's, it's actually it's just a dead end. To leave it's just to, mental uh, masturbation. It's it's meaningless and it doesn't change our experience at all. It's just mentally masturbating. It's designed to lead to nihilism and hopefully suicide. Um, the social engineers, yeah, yeah. I, I believe they're Satanists, and they don't like people. So uh, they'd like to have you put a gun to your head, because they don't, they don't like you. Okay. 
Yeah, that, that's that's actually a very incredibly intelligent observation. I think the uh, thinking that you live in a holographic reality, or that you're in just some uh, almost a jar, and there's some space alien watching the Earth and your galaxy and universe inside of this jar, and uh, you know, these, these ridiculous abstractions. I, I think that yeah, they, they cause people to commit suicide and go insane, and just to degenerate into consumerism, prostitution, sleeping around, and the whole bit, because they don't want to think anymore. Yeah. Anyway, well, they're feelers, like I said. Um, but anyway, setting aside the holographic reality theory, which nobody can uh, disprove, um, there are things that we can know for certain. For instance, like something is either – I'm going to state a fact, okay? But I do have to assume certain things, like even beings exist, you know, but uh, something – or things exist, um, you know, like the platonic forms or something, you know. Um, but something is either true or it isn't. Now, how do you prove that that's not true? So I don't believe that everything is subjective. There's no, okay? Okay, good. Because yeah. that's a meaningless statement. Well, that's an absolute position. It has to hold up at every point of line and try proving that one. <laughs> yeah. And you, you'll be surprised how many academic philosophers, they degenerate into that position. They just say, well, oh, yeah, everything's subjective. They're supposed to be academics and so intelligent. We're supposed to look at them with reverence, but that's just the dumbest, stupidest thing anybody can say. It was refuted thousands of years ago. Actually, I remember a couple of days ago, I was talking to some girl. She's studying philosophy in university, and she just said the same thing. She's like, oh, yeah, everything's subjective. And I just think, what are they teaching you in these universities? How do you study philosophy and come to that? It just blows my mind. Well, um... You, you can't you can't prove that, that it's all subjective. For instance, I can make a statement. I'm not going to prove anything, but I'll I'm, I'm going to make a simple statement. I'm going to say that movement exists, and they'll say, "Oh, but you can't prove that. Perhaps all the movement is an illusion." I say, well, "You disprove it." I'm not here to prove anything to you. I'm going to neutralize your argument because it's fallacious, and I want you to prove something. Not you'll prove anything. Prove there's no movement. Have fun with that one. And this movement, everything is in a state of flux. Everything is cyclical. Everything is vibrating. And movement is everywhere, even if it doesn't appear to be moving, because everything is a frequency, ultimately, and everything is reducible to an energy wave, and all energy waves are fluctuating. There's movement everywhere. It doesn't matter if, if it appears to be static. In fact, that is actually an illusion. I wouldn't go quite that far because that's like, kind of like the Hindu Maya theory, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was just thinking like Eastern religions when you said that. That came to my mind. It's kind of like an illusion. It's almost like God did it. You know, everything is moving, but he didn't give us the ability to detect it. Because, um, I think it would freak us out. Maybe that isn't a good choice of words, freak us out, because we'd be adapted to that if God gave us the ability. But... Um, I don't I think do, you want to... I do think I I do think there are fixed points. I, I believe that the heavenly firmament above us that that's a fixed point. I don't think it moves. I don't think everything is in constant flux. Okay, well, you want to get my position. I believe that everything that God created is electromagnetic. So that's where I just see it now. That's well, electrodynamic. Nature. Electromagnetic. That's the nature of the entire creation. Electromagnetic. Yeah, that's the theory I would subscribe to, too. Good the, the animating principle in humans, the, well, what we mean by the soul, I think it's something electromagnetic that 
sparks our existence. I don't think it's a rational faculty. We don't think with our soul, whatever we mean by that, but that which animates us, that which gives us life, I think it's something electromagnetic. Well, I've talked about this on the show, so people have heard me say this uh, a number of times, but you can prove that um, every uh, Christian intellect is centered with what I'm going to say right now, okay? I've never heard any mm-hmm. of these people affirm that every man has a higher and lower mind. You're going to go, what? That sounds new age. That? Actually, no, it's right in the Bible. Okay, so how do you prove that? And there's no way to disprove it, by the way. Um, in the Bible, it speaks about the conscience, right? Uh, do Christians believe that mm-hmm. man has a conscience? Yes. Everybody. See, and this is a good example. You'll see these patterns where everyone, everyone, all of them will go right up to this line. Now, it's a red line, but they don't go beyond that red line. So they're acknowledging that we have a conscience. Now, the scripture says it's your conscience. It's not God. It's your conscience. It belongs to you. Okay. And now, isn't it, you could ask them, I said, do you believe that the conscience convicts you know, the surface mind or whatever you have, the terminology is wrong, because when we say conscious, what I'm talking about is what New Ages would call, you know, higher consciousness or inner consciousness or the different terms for it, you know, subconscious. Mm-hmm. Okay, I could be talking about that. I'm just going to call it a mind. It's a superior mind. It has to be a superior mind. Now, here's we're going to take all the Christian intellectuals, all of them, and I'm going to sink them right now. Watch how I do this. For the question. Okay? Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. You ask them the question, do you believe that the conscience can err? Um, now, this is a technique that I use to force the mind to think. Can't teach them anything, okay? Because they don't respect me. So I'm going to force you to think. And you will think. You don't have to answer. You can just say nothing. But you're thinking, they've never thought about this before. And they're going to agree with me, and I want them to do this. And then they're done. Because once you admit that, this is where you have to go over the red line, and they don't do that. They stop. Obviously, that mind, which is yours, because it's your conscience, is superior to what I call the surface mind. It has to be superior. So if it's superior, then there's more than one mind. And one mind is superior, and one mind is lesser. And this, this is you. It's not like an angel or something, you know what I mean? Acting upon you, uh, you know. You have a higher and lower mind that's right in the Bible. And now, let me take it one more step. When you go to um, Romans chapter 2, I'm not going to get into this right now. Right now, I'll just present this as a theory. But there was basically two different communities in the apostolic uh, church, whatever you want to call it. Those that were observing the Torah, just like they always had, they were basically called Jews, even though it's an improper term. And then you had what's called Gentiles, which is another improper term. It's a mistranslation. But you had two different groups. The Christians get really confused about this, okay? And they were doing this up until the time the temple uh, was destroyed. Okay, so anyway. It talks about judgment, the judgment seat of Christ in uh, Romans chapter 2. 
And it says that those that have the law, those that have the Torah, will be judged by the law. Okay? Then it talks about this other group. It calls them Gentiles. Are they going to be judged by the law? It doesn't say anything about law at all. You know what it talks about? They're going to be judged by their conscience. What? So you can easily make the case based on Scripture. If you're going to be judged by your conscience, your conscience is an infallible, once I said infallible, moral guide. And whose conscience is it? According to Scripture, it's your conscience residing with you, within you. And I can tell you right away, well, there must be a lot of mysteries about humans. Yeah, they're all covered up. And that's one of them right there. You will hear nobody talking about this. You start talking about a higher mind, people will completely write you off. They won't write me off, by the way. I won't let them. So I'm, I'm going to hand you the microphone, and we'll see what you got to bring to the table. These people, they don't have anything to bring to the table because they haven't even thought about this before, and it's embarrassing. Well, okay. I'm willing, I'm, willing to listen, I'm willing to listen to your position, and uh, I find in the truth community a lot of these labels have become derogatory terms like, oh, you're a new ager. Oh, you're a mystic. Well, at least listen to what they have to say. Just because they're a New Ager or mystic does not mean what they say is wrong. Oh, if, if it's illogical and stupid, then it's wrong. It, using these pejoratives, it's not getting you anywhere. And that's something Drake hasn't learned. It's ridiculous. Well, uh, I say that the entire uh, language is weaponized by social interviews, and that is a judgment from God. Oh, I, I, I do, too. In How fact, if you look at the spell? word, the, Eng- the English word spell, spell. we spell words. I, I think the English language is a spell that's been crafted over the years. It actually is a spell. But stop and think about that. I believe that God sovereignly used classical Greek, you know, corny Greek, that appeared at that critical period of time. But it wasn't Aramaic. It was used, the Greek was used to get the, the message out, you know, through the, uh, the manuscripts. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was a coincidence. You know what I mean? And so uh, I think God did all that. And it's the same thing with the, um, the English language. So the English language, without question, is the number one language so far that God has used to get the gospel out. And yet his language is possibly the most weaponized language ever. I don't know any language that's so more weaponized than English. Yeah, it's so programmed. And you don't, you don't have to stop there. You can go to the King James Bible. The King James Bible has been used to convert, if you just go along with a basic Christian view, uh, more people than any other Bible. It's the most influential Bible. Okay, well, guess what? That Bible's got all kinds of problems. <laughs> yeah. I'm not talking about a liberal view, you know, where I'm, I'm talking about a middle position that's closer to, you know, the conservative view. They just don't feel comfortable with, um, even the scholars, they don't like to use the word corruption. The text is corrupted. The text was corrupted. We don't, we don't know anything, but it says way back in Jeremiah 8, 8, it says, that, that, you know, talk about the lying pen of the scribes. What kind of text do you think it's talking about? Well, the most likely text would be the biblical text. What's interesting, you can't use the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk about the Bible. Uh, to prove that it's not talking about the Bible. So Christians can't use the Bible to prove that it wasn't corrupted, because there's not enough information. But they, they don't know that. They have a magical belief that God's preserving the text. And why is that? Because it's a, a comfortable, emotional belief. People today, their minds are so stunted, they're basically, on an intellectual level, they're children. And that's what you got there in First Corinthians 2, that's what you got there in Hebrews 5. 
They're, he's talking about spiritual children, but obviously that has to do with the intellect. They, they're not learned. They're ignorant. Okay? That's what he got today. People are ignorant. And they don't want to learn. No, I, I actually, I remember, I remember there's a, something that happened to me in my school. I remember I was being berated by a bunch of my peers for believing or affirming that the earth is not a spinning globe, right? So, of course, you can imagine the ignorant high school teenagers. They're all surrounding me in the hallways. They're like, oh, yeah, you're such an idiot, right? I remember I was just, you know, letting off the arguments, just giving my opinion and saying why I don't believe the earth is a globe. I was dealing with all of the things they were saying. I was logically refuting them. And one guy got so offended. He's like, oh, what did he even say? I was just like... He said, oh, yeah, I've seen that the Earth is a globe. And I said, really? When did you see it's a globe? He said, yeah, when I went out fishing, I saw a curvature in the Earth's water. And I just thought, my God, either you're delusional, you, you were seeing shit, or you're just making stuff up to sort of save your ideology. And I, when I told him that's not true, you didn't see the curvature of the Earth when you were out fishing. He was butthurt and offended by that. He's like, oh, you, you think I'm lying? How could you accuse me? You don't know my life. And that just makes me think of that infantilism that you were talking about. Okay, this is the way I would deal with that person. First of all, I'm not going to teach him anything, at least not directly. When I say that, I don't want him to feel like I'm teaching him. I actually am teaching him that he doesn't think I am because it's subtle. So I'm going to ask him a question, just a real simple one. How would a human being go about proving the curvature of the earth? And he's not even thought about that before, okay? And so you, you quickly move on to the next question. Uh, can you agree with me uh, that you're actually trusting an authority? Because, see, you don't have the capacity as a human to do that. You've got to get off the earth. So if you can't get off the earth or do something else, it gets a little complicated, you know. We're not talking about revelation and stuff like that. That's not going to prove anything to these people. They trust science. How are you going to prove the curvature of the earth? We're going to have to trust somebody. I don't care who he trusts, I'll sink him. Uh, if he wants to trust NASA, I'll sink him right now with mathematics. So here's how you do it. It's already been proven back in the 1990s that basically every major move that NASA makes has to do with an ancient uh, belief system that glorifies ISIS and Osiris. Now, how do we know that? Because they've done it so many times oh, that it's not, it's not a theory. It has to do with mathematical redundancy. Well, let's take an example of mathematical redundancy. So there's a guy out there that has scrutinized every episode of X-Files, okay? And he, he reached the same conclusion. I'm not saying it's provable. How would you prove this? I have to watch everything, episode two, so I'm never going to be able to prove it. But he said that every single episode, they make some kind of a reference to ISIS and Osiris, I'm, you know, what are the mathematical odds of that? Oh, it just happened by random chance. No, no. And the same thing with NASA. Okay, so back to NASA. See, I just cut out the foundation. They, NASA has lied. I'm not talking to this guy. No, I'm just talking to you. NASA has lied so many times. I hold to a conspiracy theory that they did that deliberately because they don't want a significant segment they want the normies to trust them and believe everything they say. Did you know all the pastors trust NASA all across America? Okay, they want that. It's like they want most people to believe the nightly news, but for the people that are thinking, they actually want them to know, just like the government. The government is telling people, we're corrupt. Don't trust us. They want you to know. They yeah, do it to mock, and it, it increases their ritual and their magic. Yeah. It's part of they their religion. They have to mock. They have to. They weren't doing that 10 years ago, maybe a little bit. 
But they still want most people to believe the common propaganda, and then they have what I call tier two propaganda. If you're going to question things, then we've got propaganda for you, okay? And, but um, they want you to know that the government's corrupt, and they want you to know that NASA, NASA, NASA's not even trying. Do you think they could at least go out and fake it again and uh, say we went up to the moon? They don't even bother to fake it. That's what a, only an idiocracy could this happen. There's they a psychological reason why they do that. There's, there are many psychological reasons. And it's like they can't get sufficiently motivated. You could only pull it off an idiocracy. Otherwise, people would demand action, right? They get out in the streets and start burning stuff down. Let's go back to the moon. What's wrong with you people? You're taking all our tax dollars. We didn't even have a, a – nobody was – there's no income tax before 1913. You're taking all our money. We want to go to the moon. Start burning stuff down. <laughs> that's what Muslims do. <laughs> that's a, uh, yeah. Well, I'm get, not even going to deny it. They get results, don't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're doers. They're not very intelligent, but they do stuff. At least um, their fundamental and manly drives are in place. They, they want to fight and procreate. The modern American, uh, I recall modern because I don't think this is true with 1950 Americans, but uh, they're just fundamentally lazy, um, both physically and intellectually. They don't, they don't want to think. They just want to be entertained. and They want to have a leisure life, a vacation mentality, which is nowhere found in the Bible. Um, our annual vacation. Yeah, they just want to watch football and, and masturbate. That's kind of their life, and go and to work P- and come home. PGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Uh, they live their life like that every night. When they come home, I'm tired. I worked hard. It's time for my entertainment center. They don't have the time <laughs> to exactly research anything. Don't research anything. I, I empathize with them, though. They work for eight hours. They work like a freaking dog in their capitalist factory. So it yeah. does make sense why they want to just come home and relax. Because this system well, has made it that way for them. It's a slave system, and they're overburdened. And they don't understand uh, this. It's a different type of slavery. You know, in Egypt, it's a primary enslavement of the mind, but also they're enslaved to this negative environment where almost everything, well, let me put it this way, anything that's significant is done the wrong way on purpose. And you're like, wow, would that be, I'm saying it's the absolute position. So kind of subjective, you know, because when I say um, significant, it's, what is significant to the, the controllers? Not me, not you. What do they think significant? And we wouldn't really be able to establish that. I'm just throwing it out there. But it looks to me like they got all the bases covered. And so the people are ignorant. They're steeped in ignorance. They don't know where they're coming or going, but everything's done the wrong way, and it, they don't have the information, but they know something's wrong, and they're frustrated, and they have anxiety, and it leads to depression. They feel it. It's going and going and going, and they don't know what the problem is. But these people, they can't explain it. Mm-hmm. They are fundamentally unhappy, but they don't want to admit that because everyone's supposed to be successful in this consumeristic cult and be happy, happy, happy. Because that has to do with what? Success. I'm successful. I want to look successful. So, you know, even if I'm unhappy, I'm not going to admit it even to myself. I'll just live a lie. Right? <clears throat> Go to my doctor and take my antidepressants. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. If, even if you look at how much people work nowadays, even with our modern conveniences, we work more than people did in the ancient world. It's insane because yeah. of how much we're taxed and how much things cost. This yeah. is absolute tyranny and slavery. 
do, and they tell you. We don't live in wonderful times. We work more. We have less leisure time. If you looked at how people were in the ancient world, we would think it's like a 24-7 holiday. That's that's right. Most people don't know that. Uh, They work less than we do. But they think that they work more. Now, there's exceptions for that. If there was like like a bad um, year for harvest and stuff like that, you may have to work a lot harder. So you're going to die. We're not talking about that. We're talking about things that are normal. Yeah, they had lots I mean, of for us, every year's a bad every, every year's a bad harvest because we can't even afford food nowadays because shit's so expensive. We were told that so like every, every year's a bad harvest. What, every year's a famine. The early 1960 World Fair that all this technology is going to bring us leisure and save us time. Where did all the time go? There's an answer for that. I discovered the answer. You know what the answer is? Um, people were staring at a screen. And they're actually rushing home, you know, on the commute. Get home to watch their, here we go, their programming. Because they're addicted to this programming. And that's what takes up all the time. And that's why they don't have any time. Where'd all the time go? Well, what are you doing all day long? Staring at a freaking screen. You're not getting anything done. Yeah, they I got see that, that in my own household. Huge screen time. And you take anybody... From before the actually 20th century, and bring them into the future, and just let them observe these people. They sit and they stare for long periods of time, and then you say to these people, you kind of explain what mind control is, you know, and they go, "Oh, okay, whatever," or you know, a trance caused by technology, and they'll say, "Well, these people, there are there are people out there today who theorize that these people are under mind control," and they would say. You're right about that. They're right. I mean, these people, this is not right. This is not normal. What's wrong with these people? But today, it's like the most normal thing that people do, because it's like the thing that people do the most, is actually stare at a screen. It's normal. But it's not normal. No. Mm-hmm. And you can see how much they've stared at screens. It's even affected their posture. I see people, they walk around with their shoulders hunched. Their neck is extended forward and down. It's terrible. People well, have you are heard weak now? Have you heard the news story uh, about they're actually um, kind of hard to explain how this works. You can look it up. You put cell phone horns um, head. These little horns. Are yeah, I, I actually horns. I did hear of that. I did hear of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I faintly remember this. I heard course, some Christian guy Snopes, on YouTube ranting about it. It was Snopes, hilarious. Yeah, if you go to Snopes or something like that, don't expect them to. Uh, say that almost every time you know oh no <laughs> they want to debunk it you know they don't debunk everything though. they got to have a little and bit that's of the thing people yeah, people are so used to looking looking at a screen that uh, they're so used to escaping into these digital cyberspaces they can't even look you in the eye anymore but when i'm walking through the street or walking in a mall or something i try to keep my chest out and look people in the eye and they just avoid looking at me they see yeah. me and they avoid confrontation it's weird i try to nod at them like kind of just say a, a subtle hello and they just look away they, they don't want to be seen it's it, it, like they've made their own individualist reality for themselves they live in their own like monastery this individualist world where nobody can come in it's terrible 
I'd say uh, 95% of people I nod at or say hello to in the streets, just random strangers, they don't say anything to me. They just look away or they pretend to look at their watch that they don't have or they pretend to look at their phone, which isn't even on, just to avoid the confrontation. Well, it gets worse every year. I'm just talking about walking down a sidewalk. Somebody walks to you. I'll see, I see people doing these little things to make an excuse like um, they're looking off to the side because they don't, they don't want to look at you or acknowledge you or say hi or not. They don't want to nod their head or anything. They just have a pleasant smile. They avoid doing that. So they, they, apparently they think, you know, I'm not smart enough to detect this, but I've even done it myself. You know, this is what humans do, you know. They act like, I don't, I don't want to. I, a lot of these people, man, you don't want to. You interact with them, nothing positive happens, you know. It's just, here we got another one. You can, you can see them coming, you know what I mean? <clears throat> got one here, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think a lot of it stems, I think a lot of it stems from the fake conversation because people, just because of their formalities and how we've been trained, we just, we're kind of socially forced to ask things that we don't care about. Oh, how are you? How's work been? How's school been? And people don't want to go through those formalities. They'd rather just sit in their own heads. And I understand. I don't want to go through those formalities either, but they don't know how to break past that and have a real conversation. So they think, oh, I might as well just not bother. I might as well avoid eye contact altogether. Well, that's what I was going to say earlier. What, mental what nihilism. Actually, yeah, what we're actually supposed to be doing and what we're designed for, and this is what people did all through history, we're supposed to be having a significant conversation with another human. This is what people did at night after they, when they rested. You know, uh, but they don't have these conversations because um, you can't do both at once. You mm-hmm. know? You ever try to talk to somebody that's staring at a screen? It's really bad, you know, like you got an example where you got these two buddies, you know, and uh, one guy comes to visit him. And this is what young people do. And I'm, I'm just I'm just staring at television, you know, and uh, the guy walk in, you know, and, and uh, he just comes through the door because um, he says, come on in, you know. The guy doesn't even know, look at him. He's staring at the screen. And, uh, and then he sits down and looks at the screen, too. They actually don't acknowledge each other, you know, facially, like turning the head. This kind of stuff actually goes on. It's like, whoa, man. There's no greeting. <laughs> In other words, the guy comes through the door. He's a television addict, too. And he assumes that if the guy doesn't acknowledge him, there must be something important on TV. So he's going, what's, what's, what's on? It must, it must be good. So he's immediately interested in it. He's not interested in having a proper greeting. He's not even upset because this is like normal behavior now. You know? What's on, man? Mm, yeah. <laughs> must be something good. He didn't even say hi. <laughs> but I actually but believe all text these you. things. These, I, I, these people who don't want to say hi in person, they'll text you. Yeah, I take they it to a that. different level, right? Well, yeah, that's obviously true with asking a girl on a date. You can see how that's changed. It's made a lot easier. But I take it to a different level. I actually think that people are acting this way because of mind control. I believe that they're actually mind control subjects. And uh, Yeah, obviously they are under mind control. I don't know if you struggle with the Mandela effect, but if you embrace that kind of thing... Um, there's ways to use that knowledge to prove that these people actually are microcell subjects. You've got somebody like Joel Osteen, you know who he is, right? 
Yeah, the big money preacher. Okay, Houston, well, his, Texas or something like that. Yeah, his name got nice hair. But now he's a part of the Mandela effect, okay? But the same thing with J.C. Penney. Uh, J.C. Penney, literally overnight, um, all the signs changed in America. Okay? Okay, but here's the kicker. When you go to these employees and ask them, they will look at you like, what? They will all maintain it was always that way. And you go, no, it wasn't. I, I know, I, I'm absolutely certain it wasn't. You know, this is true. So anyway, at his congregation, you know you're going to have a few Illuminati people in the United States and stuff like that. But most of those people are probably just deceived Christians, assuming that they actually are a Christian. I wouldn't want to necessarily assume that. But I'm saying they're sincere, okay? They're just like regular people, like a normie, okay? If you come up to these people and try to say, hey, maybe your pastor got changed. They may actually hear this at some point, and they will reject it. Look at it. These people really are on mind control. This is where the rubber meets the road. Their brains have been altered from a distance, and um, there was a fresh influx of information, and they got um, a kind of, you know, get an update on your phone or something like that. They got an update, man. That's their new reality. Oh, no, his name was always that. I've been, I've been in the search for 30 years. Don't you say that. It's so Pastor Joel. You know, I know what his name is. That's an insult. I've gone to search for three decades. Yeah, you're one of them too, huh? You see that? People are completely gone. People don't realize what's happening all around us, man. You got to understand the with man. With the, oh. whole, with the whole Mandela effect, I, I really think it's the elite doing something to just mess with us, and that they have a good, they get a kick out of it. Well, I you know it's manufactured that, by them. You've got to prove that celestial beings are not doing it. We, we don't have the ability to do that. So, I mean, that's a theory. I understand that. I, I believe they're involved, and they're, 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 they're clearly scrubbing the Internet. But all Bible translations were changed, um, as far as we know, in certain passages. And uh, I never... Got anybody that says that their Bible wasn't changed. It was changed from a distance. There's no explanation, you know, so we never... Well, that, that, that's the thing, though. I, I don't think that this is just some random occurrence, that it just happened coincidentally. No, I think the Mandela effect is something manufactured by something, for Absolutely. something's amusement. It's not an accident. And just thinking about it actually brings chills down my spine. It, this stuff creeps me out just how much these people have controls over our mind. And even my mind, I, I still, uh, who knows how much I'm actually still brainwashed because the, the, the rabbit hole truly never ends. And people are not, there's nobody out there doing this in Christianity, I know, but I've had to develop a theo, theological apologetic for this. That's why you'll hear me talk about it. Basically, I believe that God has given these people over. He's turned them over, Okay. You've got to remember that God spoke to Jeremiah and he said, do not pray for these people. And in the book of Acts, it says, in the past, when God let all the nations go their own way, hello? He's he giving them up. Yeah, I'm there. He abandoned the nations. At one time, uh, he ruled over them, apparently through these uh, 70 Elohim. Uh, you're talking about the table of nations there in Genesis 10 and 11. So this would be after that at some point. And um, then he um, began the long process of restoring them with the gospel. Because the gospel, they didn't have the light of the truth. 
um, it was suppressed. Satan controlled it. All these people, they sat in darkness. And then God uh, let the light come, you know. So that has happened so far. You always get a response from Satan, though. The Satan's response? Okay, God destroyed a theocracy. So I'm going to create a theocracy, and I'm going to call it Christians. And that's what he did, and it's called the Roman Catholic Church. And they put all the, all the propaganda. They claimed that Actually, they were... Two, they claimed that they the were Roman two, Catholic Church... Speaking of them, do you, do you believe in the Trinity? Is that a doctrine you subscribe to? Are you asking me? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, you'll give me these little tests. That, that's laughable. Hmm? The, um, uh, yeah, I, I, the, Trinity, it, the Trinity is sort of a, it, it's sort of a litmus test for me. Yeah, the doctrine of Trinity is so completely laughable. Um, it, it's a, I've actually gone to the point where... I mean, I, I believe this. I'm not just trying to be extreme or sound extreme to get attention, but I actually believe it's a punishment from God. But again... Okay, the, so you reject it. You reject it. That's good. Well, absolutely. It's impossible. Okay, because it, it, it is polytheism. Well, it's vegan and it's wicked. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's relieving to hear that you don't believe that. That's good. I, I don't know how so many Christians believe in the Trinity because it's just... Not only is it unexplainable, it lo- uh, he might have got dropped again. Probably so. Yeah, he got dropped again, so he'll call back. Hopefully. <laughs> I was laughing myself because I was imagining the conversation between me and Drake. He's just doing all the talking and dominating the conversation. He would have some problems with me in that respect. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, okay, you're back. Yeah, I cut. Sorry about that. I I have to tell everybody this, like, every single time, because people always assume pretty much the same old thing. Um, See, I've done what I'm supposed to do. You've got to be careful when you do this stuff, because it involves theological risks. Tradition is important, okay? But um, Mm -hmm. according to the Bible, uh, it's impossible for the doctrine of Trinity to be true, right? I don't know if I'm going to go on that right now. Um, but people are going to assume, you know, that you're a modalist or an Aryan, and I'm neither. And actually, my view has never been even condemned at a church council. I'm, uh, I'm an emanationist, and emanationism has never even been condemned at a church council. And I believe, and I'll just say it's a theory, that, you know, sometimes um, what, these, what the controllers want, they want to a false dialectic. Okay. Sometimes Wait, I, I think I think the what's it called? I think the Orthodox Church teaches some sort of emanationism that Christ uh, hypostatizes from God, and he, he emanates from Him. Uh, I think, but I could be incorrect. Well, it's complex. It's complex. Orthodox. Problem is their doctrine is not clear. They don't have. And I think the problem is the scriptures are not clear themselves about this energy that they talk about. 
It's not, the Bible is not clear about these things. And they start pontificating. The whole essence energies distinction thing, yeah. Yeah, they're pontificating above Scripture. The, the de- it's real simple. The details are not in the text. They're not there. Okay? So you can theorize all you want. Yeah. But don't start, you know, making out like, well, you need to believe this, or if you don't believe this, you know, uh, you know. It's a non-essential. It's not clarified in the Bible. I basically give them a thumbs up on that, but I think they're mainly uh, in the dark on that subject. I could be wrong. Maybe God showed them something apart from Scripture. But, um, yeah, I don't um, – see, I don't think they want you to hear any – well, there's no discussion about emanationism. It's not even condemned. So to me, that's a big red flag that is most likely the truth, and uh, they don't want you even thinking about it. And you'll see this happen sometimes. There's examples for this. Like, it's, What's important is you see that this is a critical subject, okay? When you have a critical subject and nobody's even talking about it or trying to prove it wrong, you've got to explain that to them. And I'm saying that it's, God is actually um, – Blocking the human mind. He's not helping. He's blocking it. It's just like that, that, that red line that I mentioned earlier that has to do with you not know, the conscience. That's a good example of that. You'll see them go, what? In other words, they, they understand that it's their conscience, and they understand that it you know, judges and warns you know, the mind. But then, you know, we take that somewhere, you know, that means it's superior, right? As soon as you start thinking that way, the mind shuts down. But it does it across the board with, like, every human. And and I say that, and he'll go, what? Prove me wrong. I've never heard anybody talk about this, that you have a superior mind. You have two minds. It doesn't even sound right. Right in the Bible. And you're going to be... You know, if you don't have the law, you're going to be judged by your conscience. <laughs> Again, how many people can prove it's, it's not an infallible moral guide? Nobody. Have they ever thought about this? No. That's the problem. Over and over and over, you will see as people, the mind has not even thought about this. Now, I already know that, or I readily assume it, and so if I want to nudge a person into a corner with a backing up principle, I just ask them, have you ever thought about this? They can either choose to lie or not. Well, they haven't thought about it. Well, that's the thing. The, the, the whole political and theological spectrum I see, it's just been polluted with these false dialectics and dichotomies. Oh, it's either this or it's that, and you really have no choice. And I see this within Islam. Oh, it's either Sunniism or Shiism or Wahhabism or right. Ahmadianism or whatever else they're trying to shove down my throat with their false dialectics. Like, no, I don't subscribe to any of that. I believe in the Quran and what it says. Stop trying to pigeonhole me. Well, I say something. I get that. I say that something that nobody does, at least somebody that professes, you know, Christ. Tell me if you ever heard this before. Uh, But all the uh, religions are false, including Christianity. And that one, what I do, I I make these apparently crazy statements. I used to be a magician when I was a kid. I think I explained this to Joshua. I'm deliberately backing myself into a corner. It looks like he's never going to get out of that corner. He's wrong about that. You know, I mean. it's got to be some true religion, you know. When we say this, religion is basically reduce, reducible to, uh, you know, truth and religious practice, which is dependent upon truth, okay? It's actually so simple. If you look at Second Temple Judaism, okay, 
Uh, that was not a quote-unquote mm-hmm. true religion. It had the insufficient truth. It was corrupt. Uh, it says in Hosea, um, Israel is corrupt. If Israel is corrupt, your religion is corrupt. Obviously, it was corrupt during the time of the uh, judges. There was some um, you know, restorations, like in the time of Hosea and stuff like that, Hezekiah, okay? But here's the thing. What did the disciples and Jesus and John the Baptist say about Second Temple Judaism that was positive? So we could get some kind of confirmation that it was a legitimate, quote-unquote, true religion? It said nothing. Jesus said, um, obey those who sit in the seat of Moses. That's about all you're going to get. Okay, see, it doesn't make any sense for it to be a false religion because this is supposed to be the best religion and this is the religion of God's people. Does it matter? You see, the, um, the layperson, is, he's got a simple mind. So he's going to assume that you can't get saved, the Bible is false, and, you know, other things too. No. God is real. The Bible is relatively trustworthy and it qualifies as security. And you can get, quote, unquote, saved, however you perceive that. You know, if you're Muslim, you got your own belief system or whatever the heck you mean. That doesn't mean that you think, do you think that a Muslim... That doesn't mean it's a religion. This is a middle position. You see that? Now, let me explain a little bit more. All religions are false. Now, this is my opinion. I believe that. That's true. But I believe, you may believe that Islam is the best, but I believe that Christianity is false, but it still doesn't measure up to a biblical standard. You see that? Well, not Islam. I don't like the word Islam just because it's been hijacked and co-opted over the years. Okay. When I, when I speak, say Islam, I mean the Quran. Not, not any particular yeah, dogma that's been set up. But Joshua and what it says. told me that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're basically disavowing any kind of um, institutional religion identified with it. So far right now. Uh, I, I don't think the traditions are inherently evil. I would be able to accept them, but just the, the field of traditions I see today in the modern theological arena, I, I abhor all of them. I think they're disgusting heresies. Okay, you got to understand that every single prophet that God sent to Israel, uh, they all believe that that religion was corrupt. That's why the prophet was there in the first place. What do you think these prophets would say if they showed up today? You look at the letters oh, to the seven churches. Look at the letters to the seven churches. Only one church wasn't condemned. Stop and think about it. These churches were under apostolic guidance. The apostles were there directing them keeping them pure. Look at the mess that we have today. All this, forget about the immorality, this massive confusion. And you got all these confused people, by the way, but we're all, we all believe in the Trinity, though. We know that's true. (laughs) Sorry, you're confused about that, too. No, it's theological propaganda. This is like the most important verse that I share with people. So I I have to kind of let you know about this one. Okay, because it's going it to radically alter your view of Christianity. Okay, Christianity, as far as truth goes, it's basically the opposite of what Christians believe, according to the Bible. Okay, so um, <clears throat> there's other passages, but I'll just focus on Matthew 17, like I usually do. But they were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and the uh, disciples said, uh, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus said, Elijah will come, future tense, and restore everything. Okay, so uh, it's talking about somebody who's coming, and uh, you would assume that it hasn't happened yet. 
Uh, the Christians say almost universally. I mean, I've never heard any Christians disagree. Um, you know, in person or something like that. They all believe it's John the Baptist. Well, guess what? It, it can't be John the Baptist because John the Baptist is already dead. It's right in the book of Matthew. So that means that they're wrong unless they want to believe that John the Baptist is going to come back and reincarnate and fulfill that somehow. And that's not even important to me. What's important to me, you, you got a few people on YouTube that talk about this new life figure. Well, actually, I believe it's Christ. And I've already done two podcasts. Yeah, I, I, over, I, I heard your conversation with Joshua, and you talked about this. You believe that there's another figure coming. I challenge any Christian authority, get your Bible out here. Before you even try, I'm going to tell you, this is the fool's errand, so don't even bother. It's virtually impossible for you to use your Bible to prove that Elijah was not Christ. Because you can't, you've got to prove that he made it all the way to heaven. Because if you can't do that, you can't prove anything. Oh, excuse me, didn't go all the way to heaven. You know what I mean? They're going to say, and that's that's actually that's one of the reasons why I've come to not accept the Bible as my guidance. It's just because I see too many confusions within it, and you're willing to admit that it has problems in it. Although you you still trust it, and you're willing to see it as an authority, I, I I've just seen that there's too many confusions. I, I that's one of the reasons why I came to. I, I considered the Bible for a long time. I actually made a prayer to God. I said, God, Jesus, uh, well, well, what, whatever is out there, whatever is true, please show me it. And if it's the Bible, show me that. If it's the Quran, show me it. And the, I, I didn't get anything from the Bible. I, I just get confused whenever I read it. Well, don't assume and again, that's just my perception. Okay, when you ask a prayer and God fulfills it, that doesn't mean that it's fulfilled right away. God does everything on his own yeah. time. So you could, this could be changing around right now. But see, when I'm talking about the text right now, I'm, I'm mainly saying negative things. But like I said before, I'm closer to the conservative position. My position is we don't know what the corruption is, and we have no way of knowing. Um, it's unfortunate. Okay? But I don't believe that um, most of the stuff is relatively minor. It's not stuff that's that significant theologically. That's my position. Uh, you know, these tribal errors or additions, whatever you want to call them. Uh, a few of them accept something rel- relatively significant, but most of them don't. You know, these are the ones that we can determine there was some kind of interpolation. You know what I mean? Now, I'm saying... That that's the thing, though. It, if, if we allow errors into Scripture and we say, you know, these problems have seeped in over the years, how do we determine what truth is? Well, you can't. Because uh, we, we, we don't we, have we an authority. authority. We, we would need... We would need so we would need some methodology in place to determine what what scripture is valid and what's not, and that's something that scares me. Remember, I said there's we can't no authority. Give that authority to humans. We need so we need a rock to stand that sounds, on that isn't yeah. our own. That sounds crazy when you say there's no authority. So let's put it to the test, Dave's theory, and let's see if that's true. Okay, so who's the, who's the authority? The human being. I'm not talking about Illuminati now. They got privileged knowledge. They actually know this, by the way. We have no way of knowing. Who's the authority that's going to tell us um, the, the degree of corruption in Scripture? There is nobody. This involves too much uncertainty, too many unknowns. You can't do it. Okay. You don't have absolute certainty about any ancient text or even a medieval text. I see, but, we, yeah, but I believe we can build a very strong case. Yeah. I think we, I, we can build an almost, almost, um, 
as strong a case as you can get, I think we can build one for the Quran. That it is true that it has been preserved and uncorrupted through the years. Well, and I have my various have. evidences to show that. Here's what I say. You can't prove these things quickly, but over time, you can gradually accumulate evidence. You see, that's yes, something that can happen yes, in your own personal research. You can't get somebody to sit there and allow you to educate them and build up all this evidence over time. They're not going to sit still for that. So they have to do it themselves. And then everyone has their own opinion on all these things. It's a study so it course. Is. Yeah. And that's the thing. I know that when, when, like just one example of why I believe the Quran is preserved is that, you know, the Muslims, they will battle each other over pretty much every issue under the sun. You know, should I touch my earlobes before I pray? Should I be holding my hands around my stomach? Should I hold them at my waist? Should I hold it at my chest? They will argue over everything, but the one thing they won't argue over is the Quran. They all believe in the same 114 surahs, and that has stayed the same throughout the years. And they, they've, millions of Muslims every year, they memorize the Quran by word, and they're able to recite it from beginning to end. And I think that's a very good proof that it's been preserved. Well, they don't me, argue about that. They, they at least agree that. on the Quran. They don't throw any books out or anything. Let me use that one verse because I didn't actually wrap that up. You can use this verse for a lot of things. You can actually apply it to Islam and the Protestant Reformation sentence, apparently. But the point I wanted to make, which I didn't even make at all, is that um, I don't want to focus on the prophet himself, but it said he will restore, or like in the New American Standard, it says reform what? All things, or everything, and then he put a qualifier around it. Come up to the show, what does this mean? Is it hyperbole? Okay, I'm not going to do that right now. But it's prophesying, obviously, a corrupt religion. That it's going to be, need to be theological restoration. Okay? And uh, what this means, even though from a Christian historical perspective, the Protestant Reformation was the greatest restoration of truth. I mean, you know, great was. I agree with you on that. I mean, it's just, you know. Um, okay, but the same thing is true with Islam, because, see, there's many groups out there that are restorationists, like uh, I'm a restorationist, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, and uh, Islam is a form of restorationism. Okay? Yeah, it is. But, but it cannot is a form be, of restorationism. It cannot be upheld up to the Quran itself. Just a second. It cannot, it cannot hold up to a biblical standard. Now, here's the reason why. Unless you want to believe, and this doesn't work either, that Muhammad was the um, Elijah figure. Okay? I mean, if you're going to still go with the text, look about Matthew 17, 11, he either qualifies or he doesn't, just like Joseph Smith. But they don't qualify, neither one of them do. And what the Bible is just a second, let me get this out. What the Bible is doing with the Protestant okay. Reformation, I got to get this out. The Bible is yeah. sidestepping the greatest Reformation in the history of Christianity. You know why? Because it, it's not the God's standard. It actually uses the word reform. Okay? Well, the same thing is true with Islam. You got a massive problem there, which is unsolvable. Okay? Well, my response to that would be this. Is, uh, and I see a lot of Muslims, thing. The only thing that the Bible prophesies, it prophesies restoration. That restoration is the new Israel, and that has to do with the new covenant. Christians don't understand the new covenant's future. Judaism is correct about that. That's what I believe, okay? We're, not, we're in a really weird state right now. We're not under a covenant. 
Christians don't know that. It's a judgment from God. This is a view you haven't held, heard before. But Islam does not qualify as the Jeremiah 31 Israel. I'm going to tell you right now, you know why? <clears throat> because just like Christianity, they have to spiritualize the text. If you, the number one passage in the Bible, which is quoted uh, in Hebrews 7, that talks about the new covenant is Jeremiah 31. If you look at the text, what is it talking about? It's talking about physical restoration in the land, which has to do with the Abrahamic land grant covenant. None of those things were fulfilled by Muhammad because he's not the prophet and he didn't restore everything. According yeah, to the Bible. Well, my, my, my it's just like, it's just like, it's just like Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he wasn't the new Elijah either, right? Yeah. Well, what I would say is that we, we're supposed to start from the Quran and work backwards. At least that's the Quranic principle. We don't go to the Bible, something which the Quran affirms as, some, as a changed book, and try to prove the Quran through that. That's doomed for failure. We read the Quran and we see is it overall in line with biblical doctrine that's been revealed over the years. Not specific things, but overall. Like we see in the New Testament, a lot of the monotheism that we see in the Old Testament, it's lost. Things get hazy. How do I get saved? Is it grace? Is it works? And on that basis, we understand that the Quran is true, that it, it comes to clear up the confusion that came with the Bible. Well, I'm a hardened monarch. And uh, this, these, these specific like, things like the Elijah right? figure and stuff, I don't know. I'm a hardened monarchist, just like Drake. I don't believe that man can do anything at any point along the line deterministically or efficaciously uh, to save themselves. And uh, Islam doesn't believe that. Yeah. Now, here's uh, where this is very technical. important. Now, this is very important. In, in the scriptures, it talks about the gospel of grace. Okay? There's only one correct definition of grace, and it means in English unmerited favor. Okay? Now, this is kind of interesting yes. because... Um, they teach predestination, and that's supposed to be identified with monergism, but then it gets clouded because they also teach work salvation. So it's kind of like a contradiction, massive contradiction right there. But these things have well, happened what before. I would say, I thought these about things, this. I thought about this for a before. while. The, the, the grace thing, the grace thing. Uh -huh. I heard Drake say that grace by definition is unmerited favor. What I would say, God, and I do believe in work salvation, but I believe that... The grace of God is not derived from some son dying on the cross. That's not the only way to understand that. I think the grace of God lies in the fact that he's able to forgive our sins over and over and over, and he's able to overlook them if he sees us trying to um, uh, actively take out sin from our life. That would be the grace of God. It doesn't have to be the son dying on the cross. That's just a, a false understanding. That's, that's just one way to look at it. That is very, it is very graceful of God that he's able to forgive our sins over and over and overlook them. Well, he doesn't continue so to do that, in my opinion. He abandons people. He, okay. he abandons, yeah. He'll abandon a city, he'll abandon a country, he'll abandon humanity. Like yeah, in he'll what, abandon people, people, who, people. Who, make, who, make no, who make no effort to reduce sin from their life and then make no effort to worship God. But if you're making that, if he sees the intention of what you're trying to do, God, he, he'll forgive. He has that within him. So that, that's where I would say God's grace is, or how I would describe God's grace. So in, in a sense, you save yourself by meaning 
say you work hard enough and God sees your intention. And yeah, I've got a really radically the past. different view. I think great for that everything, everything that you have, everything you'll ever have, anything and everything is an unmerited gift from God. It doesn't come from within you. It comes from the bone. All right? This is a completely different belief system. And every single one of the Protestant reformers believes it. And it's not compatible with Islam. Yeah, it is not. Well, I believe, I believe that whatever you get, it does come from God. And we do read that in the Quran, that everything does come from God. But you earn it to us. You earn no, you what don't earn anything. You, you choose. I'm, I'm just saying that so you understand this belief system, everything is free. You don't, you don't do anything at any point along the line. And not only that, it's so severe that even if you did do something, God wouldn't receive it anyway. That, that, that's not the plan. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. Because it has to do with his righteousness. This is something Muslims don't understand. There's, two, there's more than one kind of righteousness. This is his righteousness applied for us. It has to do with justification in a legal or forensic sense. It has nothing to do with human action. You can see that there in uh, Romans chapter 9. It's talking about Jacob and Esau. It says before they had done anything, good or bad, that God's election might stand, he's already determined. So you have these theological inconsistencies. Make an example was like John Wesley. Most people don't know that he was actually a monarchist. Because he was inconsistent just like Islam. <clears throat> He denied predestination, but then he said that you couldn't do anything to save yourself. He actually agreed with the Protestant reformers. Uh, unlike John Wesley, Islam, at least not all of them, but they affirmed predestination, but then they're inconsistent. Because, see, that predestination is only compatible with monarchism. God does it at every stage along the line. Now, again, this is why you have to be a universalist, because predestination makes no sense whatsoever. Unless God repairs it, and if God repairs everything in the future, he can do whatever he wants to. It says in Proverbs 16, 4, that he made everything for himself, even the wicked for the day of evil. See, it doesn't have to do with the creature. It's, it's a cosmic drama that God creates to glorify himself. And the glorification of God is the highest philosophical good. And God's entire plan is oriented around that. It's not even oriented towards the creature, because that's a lesser philosophical good. Christians believe that God is doing these things to help them because um, he's such an incredibly loving being. That's their childhood belief system. Mm -hmm. It's nowhere found in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say the determin determinism is compatible because the, the, the deterministic part of it is that you either you have two choices. You can either choose heaven or hell. And uh, once you like, let's say if I come to somebody with the truth, and they know it's the truth deep down, and they know they can't argue against it, they have a choice to accept it or be stubborn to my face. If they be stubborn to my face, then God decrees from them destruction. So I think there are moments in your life where you can make a choice, and then God makes a decree for you accordingly. So I, I, it's a mixture kind of you. Well, I'm talking about everything is dependent. As far as salvation, it's dependent on one thing, and uh, in Christian theology, now it actually uses this term. Like in the Hebrew, it's, it, 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 <clears throat> the word is decree. It's all based on God's decree. Long time ago, you know, just like Jacob and Esau, I was already determined. 
is why there has to be universalism, because the creature doesn't get a choice in the short term. <clears throat> God doesn't respond to human action, ultimately. In the Bible, it looks like he is over and over again. There's only one theological book in the entire Bible, the Book of Romans. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. That it, it, another problem I have with the sort of deterministic view is that it makes certain verses in the Bible seem meaningless. Like yes, when God says, if you do this, I will bless you, and if you don't, I won't. It just seems like this ridiculous God who's playing this mind game with you, and it doesn't matter anyways because he's already chosen what you will choose. So, that's the way uh, my mind can't but, uh, wrap itself around those difficulties. He's stating the fact, but like I said, there is some... Um... <laughs> You understand that in Romans uh, 9, 22 and 23, he actually comes out and everybody's on the same page here, okay? Um, because God comes right out and tells you why everything is predestined. This double predestination, okay? Both groups, the reprobate and the elect, actually comes out and tells you, okay? And then Paul uses the hypothetical. He says, what if, because he knows that um, most people, even spiritual people, they can't process it because God is not giving a lot of light on that subject. There's never been a lot of light on predestination. There's not supposed to be. Most people just recoil in, in horror and they can't understand it, and so they reject it. And also, they don't like how it makes them feel, or they it well, changes your perception there's, there's, of God. There's no, there's no way to prove whether things are predestined or whether you have free will. Once again, these things are so above our experience. I know. You know what this is all based on? Um, the written text and the context of Scripture, that kind of stuff, and the proof texting method, <laughs> okay? That's what I'm appealing to here. That's what the text says. Well, yeah, Len, I, I do see deterministic verses in the Quran, like the, but I, I also see free will verses, and that's kind of how I've come up with my sort well, of thought on the subject. It's, I, I see both and I blend them together. God can decree for you your destiny, but it depends on what you choose. And based well, on what you um, choose, you can incur God's wrath and he can harden your heart. And there you go, your destiny is chosen. What I'd like to do is ponder the, uh, that middle position, that the important things, now these are the things that are important to God are fixed, and the other things that are, are not important, that he, you know, this is what his opinion is. They're not fixed because they don't have to be. So God doesn't, um, what he does, he steers everything towards an appropriate end. And the reason that predestination has to be true, because otherwise you wouldn't have biblical typology and, and biblical prophecy would be virtually impossible. Everything has to be fixed when it comes to an Old Testament prophecy. It's not hanging in the balance. The only way you can do that is if God has total 100% control. There's no way out of it. You just have to think it through and then change your opinion. The other thing, too, that's really important about predestination, like I said, people reject it for mostly emotional reason, but the word means what it means. You go to a secular dictionary, look up the word predestination. Christians reject it. If it says predestination, it means that. So what you have to do is alter your belief system to make it make sense somehow, and the way you would do that is to believe in universal reconciliation. If God wants to do that, he can do it, but um, he needs to clean it all up at the end, and then it'll be okay. If he doesn't do that, we got major unsolvable problems, and that's why this is not just a Christian problem. This is a problem to everybody. There's nobody out there that has solved the problem of evil, okay, just so you know that. It has not been solved by anybody, and if it ever was, it was covered up and lost, so...
I was going to say something, but it escaped my mind. Uh, what was it? It was about pre- what, what were you saying before the problem made evil? If you don't mind running me through that again, it might bring back what I forgot. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, well, I was talking about the definition of predestination in secular dictionary. The word means what it says, and it means it in ancient Hebrew. Oh, yeah, you, you, you mentioned that predestination is an emotionally disturbing doctrine, and I would agree with you. I reject the same, predestination. The same thing not, with not eternal just, hell. Yeah, Dude, not just because it's emotionally – I don't reject it because it's emotionally disturbing. A predestination, it doesn't make sense to me scripturally. But, yes, I will admit that most people do reject it because it's disturbing. Oh, we well, like to think hell, that we have control over things. Eternal hell is disturbing to the non-Christian, to the atheist. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it's offensive. Yeah, it, it's – it's one of their biggest weapons. Wait, do, you, do you believe in eternal hell? Me? Yeah, oh, you believe in a correctional kind of thing. No, yeah. you can't. You, um, you cannot. Uh, that's not compatible with his predestination. It's actually blasphemy. What is? Christians just don't realize it. it. It's blasphemy to believe, for instance, what John Calvin believed, okay? It's a view of predestination called superlapsarianism. Augustine was an infolapsarianism. Infolapsarian, as far as we're told, you know what I mean? But um, Calvin actually thought terms, yeah. that God, well, he's actually basing on the text there, that God chose to glorify himself by creating humans to go to hell oh, for all yeah. eternity. Yeah, and did yeah, yeah, yeah. Ele- the ele- election and reprobation and the perseverance of the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the Calvinist doctrine, the five points okay, of Calvinism. But, <laughs> okay, some of them, most of them are infolapsarian, but... The two views have to do with the order of the decrees. Remember I talked about these decrees? Because they actually talk about them in Scripture. And the superlapsarian says that was God's first decree. <laughs> Impossible to prove. But uh, actually, I actually believe that comes from Satan. And uh, I think that uh, John Calvin was um, basically an agent. And he was sent. I've thought about this a lot. It's not something you can prove. But Martin Luther was actually the opposite. He's like sent from God. And then this is what they do. If they, if if you ever have like a movement that's going to make an impact, they get in there, right in the middle of the whole thing. For instance, um, you ever heard of, um, you know, Luther's sidekick's name is Melanchthon? Never. Okay. Well. He was kind of like his right-hand man, and then after, um, he agreed with all the other Protestant reformers. They were all monarchists, you know, the opposite view of synergism. We've been talking about this on the show lately. But after he died, um, Melanchthon changed his opinion. He became a synergist, okay, against all the other Protestant reformers. And I believe that he did that because he was an agent. See, ideally, they want, if you've got a public figure like that that's a threat, Ideally, they want to give you your right-hand man, and I think they actually pulled it off because he was just—he was naive enough to let it happen. So, there's evidence for this. John Calvin, if you look at his Institutes of the Christian Religion, I have two of the copies. One he wrote when he was around 27. And then it went through different editions, and that became the authoritative theological work in Protestant seminaries. That was the primary theological work. Okay, well, the problem with John Calvin, he made hardly any changes to his theology, nothing significant. 
And I'm just telling you right now, that doesn't happen with a 27-year-old man that he could have that whole belief system figured out. It just doesn't happen. It's never happened. So if you want to think that that uh, <clears throat> all just happened uh, just real smoothly, that's an unprovable theory. Because it never happened to anybody else. And it actually, you know, a lot of things that John Calvin said were obviously false. But you'd have to have some kind of amazing prophetic gift to pull that off in your late 20s. It never happened. See, the men that did these kind of things in the ancient world, they were all older. So you slowly yeah, develop early to have a complete, a complete and consistent systematic theology, which doesn't change at the age of 27. So I don't even believe That's he unheard wrote, of. I don't even believe he wrote it. Now he may have wrote it, but it was propaganda that was given to him. So there you go. <clears throat> and Martin Luther was I'm, I'm, I'm very suspicious of the. I'm very suspicious of the Protestant reformers, especially Martin Luther. He seems well, to me to be like a I, crazy person. I understand. I understand why someone would look at it that way. <clears throat> and I, I think it's understandable. It's sort of a knee-jerk reaction to the corruption which was pouring out of the Catholic Church. So uh-huh. I can see why that happened. Like, although their doctrines were not consistent, I, I think they needed that in some way. They just needed some excuse to break away. Anyway, uh, while we're on the subject of him, uh, I just want to say that um, the Bible does teach justification by works. Now, I'm just saying this is my belief, you know. Uh, but people get caught up in uh, this dialectic that they can't seem to solve. Martin Luther couldn't solve it. Between what Paul I think it's unsolvable, the faith about, and works just, thing in no? the Bible. Now, people just don't, they don't understand justification by works because they don't understand election and reprobation. So I'm going to tell you something you never heard before, okay? It's a middle position because all you ever hear, hear it. All right, well, people should be, but they don't act that way because I'm assuming it's their mind control subjects. No, I, okay, I want to be proven wrong. I, I, want, I want you to shatter my worldview. I want to be forced to think. Well, I'm not going to prove anything with I you want the right truth. now. Except yeah, that there's but a, I want to a think major, of things in new ways. Major undiscussed position once again. I've proved that. But that's see, that's easy to prove because the evidence is either there or it's not. If there's nothing there, well, obviously it's being undiscussed. So mm-hmm. is it important? If it's important, then it follows by necessity that there's something going on here to suppress it, even if it's just gone. You know. So what you hear in the Christian community, it's really boring and stupid. It's related to the subject. Can a Christian lose their salvation? And they go back and forth, back and forth. Arminianism, Calvinism, uneducated people, and they don't realize that um, most professing Christians are not Arminian. They're actually Pelagian. They don't even know what Pelagian is. Okay, so this is a typical typical problem that we have, okay? So the reason they fight back and forth is because you have all these scriptures and I believe that they're there, that Armenians use in an attempt to refute Calvinists, that uh, a Christian can lose their salvation. Well, now, this is my belief, okay? Because people disagree. They'll just choose one of the two groups of scriptures. And you have these other scriptures that teach that um, at least somebody cannot lose their salvation. You can actually look at patriarchs in the Old Testament, like Abraham and David. They knew that they couldn't lose their salvation. They talked about it. 
they have some kind of a security, which Paul talked about. There's different levels of security. Okay? That's what the doctrine itself. But anyway, there's an older position, and you don't even hear about it anymore. Uh, the Lutherans are supposed to hold to this position. But this position is, is that, um, like, when you go to a local church, you basically got, like, three groups of people. You're always going to have people that wander in there, and uh, they use the technical term regeneration. Uh, the lay people will say that, you know, they're not born again. The text does not say born again. It says born from above. I don't try to tell them that, though, because they don't learn anything. So anyway, um, in this older position, well, we're talking about a church there. Then you have uh, two other groups of people who are actually regenerated, and um, the Spirit is working within them, or has at some point, redemptively, at least theoretically, because we don't know the end result, okay, because it's hidden from man, unless somebody has a revelation like David or Abraham, okay? And um, so you have a concept of a regenerated reprobate, which they have in uh, Arminianism, okay? But the problem with Arminians are they're so theologically liberal that they believe that the elect can become reprobate and the reprobate can become elect. Now, these are like biblical terms, like, you know, King James-type language. The word reject, excuse me, reprobate, it just means reject. Okay. Yeah, I'm aware, and the I'm word, aware of that. The word elect is in there, the word election. I mean, the word election is just an alternative term for um, predestination. If God elects somebody, I'm sorry, God can't fail. I don't believe in a God that can fail, okay? So if God elects a man, then he's going to be elected. Nothing can stop that. Well, guess what that is? Predestination, okay? Now, if he does that for a group, it follows by default that the other group the fate of the other group is sealed. Okay? So, okay, you have these two groups, and so you have this group of regenerated reprobates, and here's the secret. None of them persevere into the end. They all fall away. Okay? Now, the other group is the elect, and, of course, they're regenerated, and guess how many of them fall away? None. The Scriptures are talking about two different groups in the... Uh, Visible church, they're both regenerated. One is elect and one is um, reprobate. The reason the Christians don't, well, they don't even think about this, but if they did, it wouldn't make any sense to them because they would go, well, why would these people be regenerated if they're going to go to hell? Well, that's a different subject. Okay? No, but it's not based well, on you're saying, so, you're saying, so you're saying reprobate can turn elect, but elect can never no, turn reprobate. It can't. No, reprobates are fated to be reprobate. It doesn't matter if they're quote unquote regenerated or not. And you, if you're you're born into election, there's nothing you can do to become elect because God elected you before you were born. It teaches that in the Bible too. You know what does it mean in Jeremiah one five? This is not the best passage. You know it says before when I was in the womb, God knew me. That kind of thing, you know. Hmm, yeah. Or before I was born, I have to remember. There's more than one. I'm, I'm referring, I want to use the best one. I'm not sure if that's the best one. I have to look it up. Because this is the one that's talking about before birth. So it's very clear. It's some kind of pre-existence. <clears throat> By the way, what does Islam have to say about the pre-existence of the soul? Like, theoretically. I believe Muslims generally believe in the pre-existence of the soul. 
And I know in the Quran it does talk something like this, although in a different sense. Like in, in the Quran it says that um, uh, all of mankind, that uh, before we were born, we all stood before, I, I don't know what form, it, it, maybe it was some angelic form, or it, it could be anything. I, I, I have no knowledge of this, uh-huh. and neither did Muhammad. But it says that we all stood before God, and we said, you are the only God, you are one God, and you are the only one worthy of worship. And we, uh, we uh, God actually, he challenged the rest of the world to receive revelation, and everything else disagreed, but every human on earth who is here, we all agreed to receive revelation, and we all said to God, yes, you can test us, we will affirm that you are the one God. So we're all here by our own choice. That's what uh, by the way, does, at least. Okay. Uh, what, the, one reason why a lot of things that I'm saying wouldn't make any sense to a Muslim is because they don't understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying is the biblical doctrine of the nature of man. The nature of man, you'll see this outlined in Romans 9. He's not able to choose the good. This is why he can't save himself. It's based on his nature. It's impossible. That's why Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. See, we don't have the power, and I'm going to prove this to you right now, okay? And it's impossible to refute. So I want you to remember it because Satan will try to block it. He talks about this in Matthew 13. You know, the seed that was sown and some of it um, came to nothing. It grew for a while. Get distracted because I looked up in the sky. Wow, what was I just going to say? You're talking about uh, Satan and uh... I know something right before that. I get distracted by looking at the sky. I just, I'm out here walking around, stretching my legs. Well, you're going to prove to me something about predestination. Or sorry, a man not being able to choose what's good. Yeah, I think I just lost it. I was looking at this up in the sky. I thought I found. I, I, I'm trying to figure out, is that a plane up there? It's almost always a plane. Anyway. What I would say is that man can choose. He can choose and say, I want to do the right thing, whatever it is, but I'm going to make the choice to choose the right thing, no matter what it is, and if it comes my way. Okay. Not that he knows what is right, but he can make that choice. And then God okay. guides him and shows him what is right. If he comes to him with that sincerity. Okay, I got it. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna prove that uh, I'm gonna have to use the Christian Bible. Okay, uh, but you won't. Right. Nobody can nobody can disprove this. But anyway, it says in Hebrews one three and also in Colossians chapter one, this has to do with called the providence of God, which predestination is actually like a subset of Christian theology, systematic theology. It says that He upholds all things through the word of his power, the Son of God. So on the surface of things, you know, we have this um, electromagnetic substrata underneath everything, but on the surface of things, what we see with our eyes in the spectrum of light that God has given us that kind of function, everything appears to be, you know, solid molecular structure. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. God is upholding all that. The Son of God, specifically. Otherwise, it would collapse into chaos, okay? So this is an easy way to prove that, you know, he's preserving the life of uh, the most evil man right up until the point that he dies. Okay, here's the question. Does the human have the ability to preserve himself? See how that forces you into a corner? 
forces you to think. He does, does not. Does the does the human have the ability to preserve himself? The, the human no, he does, does no, not. He does not. He does not have the ability to perform a single action because this is pervenient to that. If you're going to perform an action, first of all, that would be an action, you know, preserving yourself. But that has to be assumed that you would have to do it all along the line. Well, you can't do that. Well, you're assuming that you can act independently of the creator. The Bible doesn't teach that. So what happened to this doctrine that you can save yourself? It just went down the tubes, and I sunk it, and it's done. Now, this is based on the Christian Bible. Based on the Christian Bible, Bible, though, yes. It's done. It's not coming back. You know, you can say, oh, the text is corrupt. You can say about anything, any religion, too. See, you can take the Koran, and I'll Mm -hmm. think that. I'll just say, who's the authority out there that can infallibly prove that this particular word is a forgery or not a forgery, or this particular sentence is a forgery or not a forgery? Who's the authority that can come out and do this infallibly? There is no authority. So what this okay, means but we can, is that there's we can say that there is there is like literally no evidence to show that the Quran has been edited. What and this it, means it, is that if out of any book in history, it's shown to be the best preserved. It's okay. the best we've got. What the, what this means is virtually impossible for any human authority outside of Illuminati to measure the corruption of the Quran. You got to listen to me. It's impossible for anyone to prove that that the Quran doesn't have an error. If it has a single error, then that absolute position of preservation just went down the tube. And now the question is, well, how many errors? Right. Two, three, we don't know. Neither does anybody else. That's my point. It doesn't matter how much corruption, the important issue, is there any? Or is it just a text that fell from heaven? Obviously, you're going to have some kind of contradic- contradictory translation. I'm not going to translate. Translations, yes. That Muslim happens. Well, that, all here's the, time. the thing. You understand. That is corruption. Let's go back to the Jewish rabbis. They say that when you translate the text from Hebrew, you corrupt it. And you know something? They're right. Because you can't translate any language into another language perfectly. So you're always going to have corruption problems. Actually, I think the Arabic language is a little bit different. The Arabic language is made in a way where there's interlocking root words, and you can actually get to the root of what a word meant 1,400 years ago. And that's just kind of how the Arabic language is formed. You can, and actually, if you want to look into this, there's a work by the, a very intelligent man who I'm loosely in contact with in his comment section. His name is Sam Garens, and he actually re-reverse engineers and translates the Quran based on its own merits. And he uses the Quran itself to find the definitions of what the Quran is trying to say. So if you want to look into that, his name is Sam okay. Garans, S-A-M-G-E-R-R-A-N-S. I have and to I think confess, he does I'm find not, an objective. I know you wouldn't like this, but I'm not, I'm not, um, can't get sufficiently motivated to investigate the Quran. It's very okay. strange. That's fine. Yeah. That's your That's decision. That's just the way it is. I mean, everybody has these prejudices. Huh? You know? I mean, I'm not telling you what I think about the Quran because I respect mm-hmm. your belief system enough that I don't. You don't want to know what I think about. It. <laughs> okay. I actually do want to know. 
Uh, you def- at the offensive. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get offended by yeah. it. Yeah. I have <laughs> thick skin. Say. I, I, I like when people disagree anyway. with me. Yeah. No, I it's swear. I, I have thick skin. Not necessary. Mm. All right. That's your decision. Anyway, um, it's well, virtually possible. Just a second. It's to any, to any of your audience members. Sorry, go ahead. As a human that doesn't have access to privileged knowledge to infallibly prove that the Quran is not a highly sophisticated forgery. Now, if you got any problems with that, I'll take it to a different level. And the same thing has to do with the, any kind of ancient text. It's virtually impossible for any scholar that doesn't have access to privileged knowledge that can infallibly prove that this or that text or that manuscript is not what is called like an illuminated text. Now, illuminated text is something that's actually it's not created by a human. It's not created by God either. It's created by um, a celestial being. Okay? And you say, well, how do we know this ever happened? How do you know it? It didn't. So what you have to do as a Christian or a Muslim is to prove that this didn't happen with your favorite text, because it's impossible for a human to do that. So that means, I just illustrated, it will always be an unprovable theory, uh, you know, about what we say about inspiration and these kind of things. You can't absolutely prove it in these things. It's possible for a human to do that without privilege. I, I agree with you. And uh, it's impossible to prove that the Quran is the word of God. I will agree with you, but I say it's the best we've got. And in fact, the Quran speaks on this issue. It says that if you can bring for me something better, I'll follow it. The Quran says, you don't just blindly follow the Quran. The Quran says, if you want, if you want to disprove the Muslims, all right, bring something better. The Quran puts that challenge out, out there. It, well, it, it challenges people to bring their evidence. So if, if anyone can bring to me something better than the Quran, I'll follow it. So the Quran it encourages uh, a position where you're always inclined to truth. There is something better. It's coming. It talks about two different times in the book of Isaiah about this new thing. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Who's the prophet out there, you know, or has the revelation, whether he's Muslim or Christian, that's going to tell us with any significant detail about what this new thing is. Did anybody do that? Nobody knows. You see, God can see, he likes to surprise people. And human beings, they don't know what's coming around the corner because God hasn't shown them. He doesn't want them to know. This is true with everybody. It's also true with subjects that have nothing to do with religion. It's got surprises that don't have nothing to do with religion either. For all of humanity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what I would say is if there is somebody waiting to come with new revelation, let him come. I'm willing to listen to it. If he can bring something better, I'll follow it, because that is actually the Quran's position. I don't think there's anybody coming. I don't believe there's any new prophets or messiahs or any chosen figures um, uh, lifted up by God. But if somebody does come, I'd be willing to take in their presentation. You can, you know, turn on its head, and you have the burden, and so does everybody else, of, of proving that that scripture is not inspired, Matthew 17, 11, and there's, you know, there's no prophet coming. That was a forgery. You can't prove that either. See, I can come out and I say, well, you can't prove anything with an ancient text. Okay, now we'll flip it around. Can you disprove the Bible? Any atheist? So you can't disprove it either. <laughs> you know why? You don't have enough information. All these well, More, I think I, well, on, based, on YouTube, they think, on what I see, I think, there are, I think there are contradictions. 
in the books of the Bible I see, I think there are contradictions. Okay, there's different categories. So that's one of the reasons. There's different categories. What I want to talk about is theological contradictions. Like, for instance, we've already talked about one. This is a famous one. Uh, Paul talks about um, justification by grace and or faith. If you understand them correctly, it's the same thing. It's just expressed differently. And James' doctrine of justification by um, works. Now, yeah, that's one of the best contradictions. Now listen to uh, this I think one. It's a blatant one. How many Muslims? Mm-hmm. Muslims are not theologically educated people. I'm sorry. Oh, I agree with you. No, okay. there's no need to apologize. Well, I'm also the talking about the theologians. I wonder how many of them would be ignorant about this. But yet, this is this is a, a concept that all the Protestant reformers believe, but it, it, it completely um, <clears throat> overwhelms the mind. The Bible actually teaches it's essential to have good works. Does that sound like I just contradicted myself? <clears throat> okay, here's what everyone needs to hear. And this is expressly taught in Hebrews chapter 2. All of these works, and Augustine taught this, are actually a gift from God. Yes, you have to have them. Now, why does God give them to anyone? Because it, here's the secret. Every, every action of God um, tends towards the greatest achievable good. That's glorifying God. So basically, everything that God does is to glorify himself. He doesn't save creatures um, because he loves them or because he's compassionate. Everything that God is doing has to do with he wants to illustrate something that's important to him. It's not important to us. And we have to suffer. We're fated to suffer. Can you get out of suffering on this planet? No. Everybody's subject to this, right? <clears throat> Even Illuminati. They're yeah, slaves to Satan. That's true. Satan's their master, their slave master. We're all slaves. I call it slave planet. Christians are so dumb, they don't realize that they're all slaves. This is a slave society, and they were slaves anyway a long time ago back in Europe. The white peasants, the serfs, all slaves, no middle class, right? And the Illuminati ruled over that. You ever hear about that in the media? You know, white slavery? Oh, no. And talk about yeah, they that. Never Another stopped. forbidden subject, right? Yeah, they, they never shut up about it, in fact. Oh, whites are just these horrible, terrible people. They've oppressed the entire world. It's disgusting. It's well, they started babbling. White countries. They started babbling. The media started babbling recently about this problem of white supremacy. And what happens right after that? Oh, we start to have these shootings. People that they claim are white supremacists. We don't know anything. You know, they gave us this information. Oh, you're going to trust the CIA. You know, he wrote this. Look at it. I'm saying that Calvin didn't even write what he supposedly wrote. How do you know what this kid wrote this stuff? You don't know anything. Yeah, this, this electronic document, uh, where, where did it come from? And then they got that uh, one... So nobody uh, knows. They got that one Muslim politician. I forget her name starts with an I. She had this little interview. I watched a short clip of it on YouTube. She says, um, we need to warn people about uh, white people. What she said, you need to be scared of white people or something like that? <clears throat> Anyway, I don't know. I don't follow politics. Once again, it's a distraction. Well, they're most of them are actors, and they're born into Illuminati. Yeah, whenever I see these men and women talk on on their podiums, I just it it makes my stomach turn upside down, and I feel like vomiting. 
It's just disgusting, and, and it makes me want to vomit even more because I see the people in the crowd getting very enthusiastic about these actors and actresses. Oh, yeah. All generational yeah, Satanists it makes me sick. are actors, every one of them. And the reason they are is because they all lead a double life. And one of the primary things they've done all through history is, is to fool the Christians, is pretend to be Christians, pretend to be good people. I call it the white picket fence phenomenon. You know what I mean? The most well, nor- they follow Satan, and Satan is the ultimate actor. So, well, Absolutely. He's a good showman, too, by the way. That's a different subject. Yeah. He puts on a good show for his people. <clears throat> yeah, he's the ultimate actor. He, he deceives you. He beguiles you with his uh, cleverness. And, of course, his minions and followers would follow in those footsteps. They also beguile you with their acting and their facades. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good that you... Uh, Believe in a personal Satan. A lot of Jews yeah, have problems believe, with that. I don't, be, I don't believe in a, a universal force. No, I, I believe Satan is real. He's a real entity that exists and takes up concrete space, and he's a problem. He's yeah. a legitimate being that uh, conspires. God, you said personal space. It made me think of um, what Drake was trying to teach the Muslim. He's trying to say that God is confined to a space. He's using the proof text method. You know, this is what the text says. So based on my observance of what the text says, God is confined to a physical space between the cherubim. Did I get... Did oh, I do you believe that? that? Are you kidding? Yeah, that's what, that's what, that's what he said, yeah. The Bible teaches... That God takes up a... He has a, a limited spatial location. The Bible teaches the... Um, a near opposite of union. That everything is contained within God, and it talks about this in Acts 17. Are you a pantheist, then? Um, no, I'm not a pantheist. I'm just thinking, um, why would you ask me that? Um, Christians? Well, no, because the, the pantheists had a similar view, that everything is contained within God, and everything is derived from God's essence. Okay, well, sometimes I'll have truth in erroneous system. That happens all the time. That doesn't mean that position is wrong or valid just based on one particular data no, no, point. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not making a criticism. I'm just asking yeah. if you were aware well, of that you or if it, you would believe that. And that that would be consistent with your predestination. And in fact, Drake is inconsistent because if he believes God is separate from the world, I mean, the, 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 the only position that's consistent with a predestination is a kind okay. of panentheism. Well, I'll tell you my position, okay? So you have, again, the dialectic, and you have the polarizing errors. Now, I'm saying that they're polarizing errors. Are you still there? You get knocked off again. You got knocked off again. Okay, you there? Yeah, I don't know why my phone keeps doing that. I apologize. Uh, what does Drake say about ex nihilo creation? Well, he believes that. He believes in creation ex nihilo. He says okay, that, well, that all the all the ancient mystery religions, they teach that uh, the universe is eternal and God sort of unfolds the universe out of his essence. And the distinguishing mark of the Bible is that it teaches creation ex nihilo, which is different from all the ancient pagan mysteries. Yeah. And that's kind of his, his basic position. 
I'm saying that's a polarized error that was probably manufactured out of thin air. I'm not talking about ex nihilo. I believe that too. But, uh, and, you know, they talk about that kind of thing in Hinduism. You understand, Hinduism is a fascinating religion. You uh, combine that with devolution, the farther back you go with Hinduism, the more truth you get. This is a huge subject which I don't want to go into right now. But around the world, they actually, everyone knew Yahweh. And there was a great book out there called Eternity in Our Hearts. This guy traveled around the world and met these elders and stuff, and they all talked about this God who abandoned them. Remember what I said earlier? Actually says that in the book of Acts. They were aware because um, they lost contact with them, and they say that's when they started uh, to worship and sacrifice to the demons because they were used to interacting with some kind of deity. You know what I mean? And God blinded their mind. Okay, but anyway... <clears throat> It's kind of like a trinity. Uh, Christian scholars, they say the same thing about ex nihilo as they say about the uh, trinity. They use this, trying to use precise language in order to preserve their career and please their peers because they know one thing. You cannot use the Bible to prove the doctrine of trinity. It's simply not in there anywhere. You know what I mean? I agree with and, you, yeah. Well, the same thing is true with ex nihilo. Now, what they say, these are scholars who believe ex nihilo. They say, they use the word, it's not, um, I just can't think of the word. It's not precisely stated. Just use the wrong word. Uh, I'm not as precise myself. I'm not walking around the podcast. Too, right? Oh, it's not expressly stated. It's not expressly stated. You know why they say that? Because they know not the common Christian, but they know it's not in the Bible anywhere. Okay? Now, I'm going to say that there's a middle position. There's a conspiracy to cover it up. And that's why it's not only is it never condemned, really, even by modern Christian apologetic ministries, there can be exceptions for that when they're attacking the New Age movement or something like that. But, um, it was never condemned at a church council, and that's because I'm going to say it's because they don't want you to think about it. It's called emanationism, which is compatible with some forms of Judaism, like the Kabbalah. I'm anti-Kabbalah, by the way. No. Mm-hmm. And I don't borrow anything from the Kabbalah, never did. I don't need to. Okay? They put a lot of truth in there, but they mix it all with the poison. That's what Satan does. And you have these people that fall in love with the Kabbalah, and they think that it's a higher revelation. That's what... <laughs> That's what you're supposed to think. You've got psyops, buddy. But, of course, everyone wants to believe, I discovered the truth. And then they want to tell you about it on Facebook, don't they? But, yeah, um, you've got to see, once you start thinking theological propaganda, and you've got you to get confident that they are consistently covering up these huge, very important middle positions, right on down the line, then here we go again. You see that? So the middle position... There's another middle position called panentheism, which yeah, is I've heard that's why well, that's a lot closer to pantheism. That's what Jay okay, Dyer espouses. Panentheism? Yeah, I think he does. I could he be incorrect, to, but yeah, he, he needs a theological. Uh, he needs a theological mentor just to throw some ideas around. At the rate he's going. His belief system, he's just embracing, you know, a big institutional belief and then rejecting it and embracing another one. He's not, you know, tweaking them. He, he embraces a new belief system, then he starts defending it across the board. 
theological, the major things, you know what I mean? <clears throat> That's not how you do it. Okay? And in the Eastern well, Church... He believes in the infallible authority of the church. So That's the problem right there. 100% unprovable, just like apostolic succession. See, he, he's not sufficiently skeptical about history. Who is he trusting for this information about the um, second century church? Because he's trusting somebody. He's never thought of it. He thinks it's a trustworthy source. Can he prove that? Well, no. 100% well, doesn't, doesn't, I think he says it from Scripture. Doesn't the Scripture say that... Uh, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church or Christ's church or something along those lines. And the, the, both the Catholics and the Orthodox, they use that as a justification of their tradition and their apostolic succession and pretty much their entire religion on that point. So I don't know what you would have to say on that. Well, I can say a lot of things about that. I, I can't like you know, clarify that quickly. There's a lot of confusion there. Um, but that is not a proof text for anything because the text itself doesn't have sufficient clarity. They're assuming that clarity is there, and it's not. That's how you call them out on that. But you just ask them a couple simple questions. Okay. It's, um, and looking at that text microscopically, all you got to do is just throw a couple questions like, how do you know it's not this, like an alter, uh, um, uh, interpretation? <clears throat> what they're doing, it's very simple. They're simply, they bought into uh, the tradition, holy tradition, you know what I mean? I guess we're sick and tired of the Eastern Church, you know, holy, 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 holy this, holy that. You know what that is, ultimately? To psyop. But to just, um... <clears throat> it looks to me like idolatry whenever I see it. If we just keep talking about how holy everything is, it's all sacred, then you start to get this mentality, well, now you've got these sacred cows, the biggest sacred cow at all, of all is, you know, Christology, the Trinity, and that's why you can't make any changes. It's too, it's too sacred. That's exactly what needs to be done. If it's not compatible with Scripture, virtually impossible to make. Anyway, there's all kinds of fun things you can do with Matthew 17, 11. So if you want to talk about a cosmology or the doctrine of the Trinity, and we talked about how important cosmology is because it's the fabric of a physical structure of reality. So that's important. The reason the doctrine of the Trinity is important is it has to do with the nature of God. So that's an important subject. So you filter that to Matthew 17, 11, Elijah will come and restore everything. Obviously, God has the one that's concealed the true cosmology. Do you really think that God is going to give us this important doctrine about God, and there's not going to be any significant errors as the centuries fly by? You should assume, if you're thinking in along the lines of conspiratorial theological propaganda, that the opposite is true. Okay, that's why I went any further. I said, this is a punishment, especially the fact that people can't even open their mind to be sufficiently suspicious that it may not have fallen from heaven the way they think. They have a magical belief system <clears throat> about these church councils, which are nowhere prophesied in the Bible. You'd agree with me. Then they also have a magical belief about the canon, and they're so incredibly ignorant, they don't know that the Protestant canon wasn't, wasn't made official until the early 19th century, you can look it up. I think it's like 1825 or something, I can't remember. Yeah, that's problematic. See, the King James Bible, it had the Apocrypha. That's how ignorant these people are, because see, this is incredible, this is shocking. 
this is an essential part of their religion. They have a, a mind that cannot function outside the canon. It's like, that doesn't compute. Like, like if you want to break their brain down, you go, well, how do you know that the book of Philemon was inspired? Because if it's not, it's just this little tiny book. You know what I mean? Nothing remarkable in there. Because if it's not, then it's 65 books. Or the book of Esther, which is not in the Dead Sea Scrolls. How can you infallibly prove that that is not on this inspiration level, especially when the Bible doesn't even define inspiration anywhere? This inspiration of the scriptures that they talk about is nowhere found in the Bible. It's nowhere um, defined. They don't know that. They think it must be in there somewhere. Actually, they haven't even thought about it. How dumb they are. It just keeps getting worse. And what we're actually talking about is mind control subjects. <clears throat> That's where all this is headed. These people are mechanical, man. Don't think you can educate them. They've got to educate themselves. And uh, God is going to have to act individually in a remarkable, miraculous way. And I believe what he's doing is what he's done all through history. He's setting up a drama to glorify himself. And how does God do that? He, it doesn't matter exactly how he does it, but we'll use the word allow. He allows all these problems to crop up. It's basically, you know, Israel with their back against the wall of the Red Sea. And then God comes in there and makes it all better. And if he really wants to glorify himself, he'll do it very quickly. So it's kind of like the, the, the Illuminati. The, you know, everything through history, problem, reaction, solution, it always works because the people are stupid. God does the same thing, except he doesn't give a false solution like they do. He gives a real solution. And the people are so fundamentally corrupt. When God does something good, and this is not always true, they'll actually reject it. Anyway, they rejected yeah. his laws. I mean, he gave the people the Torah. I mean, Islam holds the Torah in high regard. Those are the best laws in history, in my opinion. But they don't work. They were designed for a tribe. <laughs> and it was a temple-based religion, and the temple is gone. Get over it, man. You're, 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 you're espousing the doctrines of the Quran right now, because the Quran says the same thing that those are revelations for a certain time period. Yeah. But they, uh, so they, cannot, they, not, they cannot be used to govern a modern society. But let me tell you something. If they were, oh, this society would be a lot better. Drake, you, thinks, you know the, the, Drake thinks the Torah can be applied wholesale to modern no. society. No, no he, he needs to listen because um, he believes in the New Covenant. And the New Covenant, if you assume that the New Covenant was given in the first century like Christians believe, uh, you can't even prove that because they've never heard this before. There's lots of things they haven't heard, uh, but the information is not there. And that's how you can fallibly prove that we cannot be under the New Covenant. All Christians are going to believe, well, if we're under the New Covenant, the information has to be there in the text, right? Because they're text-driven. It's not in the text. In other words, I'm talking about issue after issue, law after law in the Torah, but it's nowhere discussed anywhere in the so-called New Testament, which is just a Latin term for the New Covenant. It's not there, but they don't know that. So what happens to the uh, New Covenant? At best, it becomes an unprovable theory that no one can prove, um, and it's hanging in the balance that there's actually lost texts 
that have this information somewhere. Which, and Christians don't believe in that, because that, that has to do with the esoteric. And you're talking the Bible. You know, they're at that mentality. You know, they, all they do is, is defend the fort and refuse to think. You know, look inward. You know, look at Christianity. Look how corrupt it is. It's the most um, mixed up, confusing religion in the history of the world because of all these different opinions, which is perfectly compatible with Matthew 1711. See, that's a reflection of this corruption that God has sovereignly, say, allow. He caused it. Why did he cause it? It was a punishment. Christians don't like to talk about that. But this is how confused Christians are. Christians want to babble about the atonement. The word atonement is not even used in apostolic scriptures. That doesn't mean that there's not an atonement. They have all this atonement talk. And they refuse to acknowledge that we're still under a Genesis 3 curse unless you force them to think. Because if you force them to think, they're going to realize, hey, people are still getting old and dying. Well, that does have to do with Genesis 3. But didn't Jesus already go to the cross? And we're still under this curse, aren't we? The fact is, when you talk about curses that have to do with God's people, they don't ever want to talk about that because they're little children. They want to talk about the things that make me feel happy. They do. And that's what they think about. They'll actually like, make a judgment against you. He's a negative person. He wants to talk about curses. You don't want to talk about you know, My mind is free in Christ. I don't need to focus on the devil's trips. <laughs> Children. Anyway. Well, yeah, they, they, they just go for what feels good. How, how many people do you know uh, sincerely who are actually inclining towards truth and they're willing to give up everything for the truth if they find it? <laughs> yeah, I said on the show recently that Peter said, uh, Master, we have given up everything to follow you. It sounds like I'm being mean. I already said before. Um, Paul and the writer of Hebrews referred to them as spiritual children, 1 Corinthians 2, Hebrews 5. But again, these were spiritual children who were not growing properly. Their growth was stunted and would also be intellectual. And they were guided. <laughs> they were guided by the apostles. Look at these people running around. You know what these people are today? These professing Christians, you know what they are? They're actually anarchists. Yeah, okay, I would agree. They just do their own thing, and then they – it's kind of weird because they kind of follow the pastor. And when pastor Bob is not around, they just do their own thing most of the time. Especially maybe, these Baptists. These guys are total anarchists. They're going to hell. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now. They're going to hell. The, the Baptist religion is a total failure. Unless God lowers the standards for heresy, which he – you base it on an apostolic standard, they're, they're not going to make it unless they are a um, Reformed Baptist, and they're very small in number. They're Calvinists. I'm just saying that because they got a false gospel, among other things. Hey, I'm just talking about your pastor, Stephen Anderson, independent fundamental Baptist. Yeah, those, those he might be on a payroll. You know it's him. hard to believe that somebody uh, would be that ignorant, but I know they're out there. <laughs> uh, I, I think that Stephen Anderson might even be an agent. Well, I think I think he might too, but I don't know for sure. So, but I, I heard his sermon against the Quran and just the dishonest garbage that comes out of that my, my, my or that comes out of that man's mouth. It, it makes me sick to my stomach. 
He just, he just lies. And I understand if you don't want to believe the Quran, that's fine. That's your decision. But don't lie about it. Like when he says that the Quran teaches that Muhammad or that pedophilia is okay, he, he just lies. He, there's no verse he could pull in the Quran that teaches pedophilia is okay. There's nothing whatsoever. He just pulls it out of his ass. He reads half a verse in the Quran where it says um, it's giving you um, uh, laws of how to deal with women who haven't menstruated. And he kind of construes that and says, oh, you're allowed to marry women that haven't menstruated. So what are you doing marrying children? The Quran teaches pedophilia. No, that's not the case. It doesn't teach pedophilia. It's talking about a woman who is missing her cycle, who skipped her cycle because she's pregnant. If you read half a verse down, it says, until they deliver their load. But, you know, he, of course, he doesn't read that because he has an agenda. He twists the verses from their own source. Yeah, that looks like he's doing that deliberately. He does. Okay. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a textual-based guy, obviously. Stephen Anderson, he reads the Bible. He's obviously dealt with people who take it out of context. He knows to read things in context. He's trained himself to do that because he's a pastor. So it, it's no accident that he took the Quran out of context. By the way, I just got to jump in here. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I just got to jump in here because you can just talk about random biblical subjects uh, that like, have to do with Old Testament mm-hmm. law and then put it to the test and, okay, think you're under the New Covenant, huh? And all the information is there in the Bible. Of course it is. It has to be there so we can obey it. So God put it all there in the New Covenant law, right? So you just brought up you know, the issue there when a woman <clears> – <throat> Is in her menstrual period, you're not, even, not only are you supposed to not sleep with her, you're not even supposed to touch her. And science has actually proven why this is legitimate because it actually feminizes you. And that's not a theory, it's a fact. I don't think they, that was known until the 20th century, late 20th century, but it is a fact. It has to do with hormones. Anyway, so what does the so-called New Testament have to say about that? Are we supposed to still keep doing that? Is it supposed to be modified? Or we just don't worry about it. You know what it says? Precisely nothing. There you go. There's your new covenant. The law of silence. Enjoy. It's a good term, the law of silence. It's impossible to prove that we're under the new covenant. The only way you could do it is create a theory that there are lost texts where the rest of the laws are. And obviously that's going to be unprovable. So can you, is there anyone that can prove that Christians are under the new covenant? No. It's impossible. Yeah, we do that. Refute everybody, and notice how easy it is. It's child's play. So what I did, I See, that's, that's an, I started off with apologetics, yeah, but I came up with these methods to prove things as quickly as possible and ideally silence every mouth, and we don't want to have an argument. Remember Jesus? Did he argue with people? No. Yeah, he uh, argued. He buried them, and they walked away. Jesus asked a lot of questions, but he wasn't really arguing with people too much. At least when, when I read the New Testament, that's what I see. Yeah. Well, he didn't he have like stumped a... them by asking them questions. Well, they tried to stump him. And another reason, uh, I already talked about this God is one doctrine. That's the most important doctrine in the entire Bible, and it's all James says that in the book of James because he uses that as the test for orthodoxy, one single doctrine. There is no Christian, there is no Trinitarian that can give us any kind of authoritative details about this doctrine in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema. There's nobody that can do it. Just like they can't give us any details about um, 
you know, this new thing that God's going to do. Okay? Or the new, or the new covenant. It has to do with the new covenant, by the way. The details? I know it has to do with the restoration of the land, because it says that in Jeremiah 31. House of David will be restored. It says that in Amos 9. But we don't know the particulars. And, you know, God did not want to tell us because um, he wants to tell us in the future. We don't like that. We want everything now because we're little children. We demand it. You tell me no. And then we deceive ourselves into believing. God told us already, and he told us everything we need to know for faith and practice. And that is completely 100% unprovable. I just disproved it twice already. If you believe that everything required for faith and practice is in the Bible, then you've got to show me where these laws are at. They're not in the Bible. You thought they were. Okay, I, I've said this over and over. You go from subject to subject to subject. A lot of times I'll talk about concubinage. You know what it says about negative about concubines in the entire Bible? Precisely nothing. nothing. It's a form of polygamy. Okay, so Christian Lee, well, that's, that's, the, that's the justification Drake uses for his doctrines because he believes prostitution is okay according to the Bible because it's never condemned. And in fact, the Old Testament patriarchs, they were seen visiting prostitutes and never condemned for it. So he you encourages have to have an prostitution. Authority. You have to have an authority. Constituency. Just because the Bible doesn't speak against something, that doesn't mean it's permissible today because changes were made in the law along the way. And Christians go, what? That's the holy word of God. I said, okay. Well, guess what? At one, t- at one time, after the Torah was given, it was permissible to sacrifice in a high place. Where else were they doing it? And then later, uh, they had a new law, and it said it's not permissible anymore. It's idolatry because the people fell into idolatry, so God took it away. He does this over and over, by the way. Well, how do you know that God hasn't done this at some point you know, in the last 2,000 years? Is there any authority they can well, Drake, that God has not made? Drake says that the, the, the only time fornication is condemned in the Bible, at least according to him, is that is when the children of Israel, they would uh, sleep with temple prostitutes, and it was uh, associated with idolatry. But the act of fornication itself or sex before marriage is not condemned. It's just when it's associated with idolatry. So on that, well, this that, is something again, that people freak out about. Normally when you talk about these things, you're going to be taught, confronted with people who have never thought about these things at all. Almost every pastor in America. Uh, but that wouldn't be true for me. But the problem is, is that um, what we want, we want information and clarity, and the Bible, doesn't, the Bible doesn't have it. You kind of got to read between the lines, and I don't want to be reading between the lines when something is that important. You know what I mean? So I'm aware of that. The word of fornication is not a biblical word. It's like the word incest, Okay. Oh, excuse me, um, sodomy. The Bible uses a general word for sexual immorality, zana. But it, 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 there isn't a specific definition of what sexual immorality is. It, it, Maybe there is it, to a certain extent. With a, yeah, you the don't word, have sex with an animal, but... Right. The word is just pornea. It's determined by the context. Okay, so obviously incest is forbidden in the Torah. So... Um, <laughs> See, they're trying to say that there's only one reason why you can divorce a woman. And that's, um, so they're saying, oh, that must be incest because that, you know, that's the pornea there. Uh, Because that is forbidden in the Old Testament. They're assuming that's, (laughs) that's the word for pornea. 
So in other words, the only way you can uh, divorce your wife is if you discover that you're actually uh, close relatives, and then you can get divorced. But apart from that, you cannot divorce your wife. By the way, we're on the subject. We just the subject just cropped up again. Where does it say in the Bible that you can? Um, where does it talk about these modifications of laws? Where because this is a massively important subject. Because you remember, women could not divorce their husbands, right? Yeah, they didn't have that right. And you had to have a uh, written uh, manuscript, you know, to do it. Okay. Does it say that you still have to have this written manuscript? Do the Gentiles have to have it? Okay, let's get, have some details because this is the, you know, the, the, the foundation for every civilization is the family. So we need to have a lot of clarity, okay, about this issue. The only thing that Paul says off the top of my head is that he talks about, he appears that women, if they're being physically abused by their husband over a time, the, the marriage is not valid. As far as I know, that's all it says. You mean? So they can leave their husband. It's being physically abused. I mean, it actually makes sense, doesn't it? You know. I mean, you could be yeah. killed. Well, let's see. Actually, Your life is in danger. You going, you, you, you going over all the uh, lack of clearness in the Bible, that, that just, for me, reiterates the fact why I can't accept it for spiritual guidance. Uh, atheists love me talking about the Bible. Interestingly, you accept the Bible as authoritative. You believe it's the Word of God, and you follow it to the best of your knowledge, yet you uh, spend a lot of time picking it apart. It's very interesting. Well, that's, you you have know, a that is position. a giant middle position. That's what it is. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to criticize you. I'm just saying I've never encountered this. I've never heard anybody talk like this. I've never heard a Christian say that we're not under the new covenant because the information is not there. Obvious. I've never heard it either. You know how, first of all, that's an absolute position. So I can take the entire Christian church down in about eight seconds. That means that every single one of these minds of these great men was blocked. Specifically in reference to what? That these laws don't exist. Not one of them that ever figured this out. If they ever did, it was covered up. That's the best you could say. Well, somebody must have figured it out. Dave, you're not so special. But they start having an emotional reaction. You know what I mean? Oh, he thinks he's special. Notice how he's measuring himself against other people and talking about himself. And Dave keeps saying the word I and my. What kind of people? Those people are programmed. They don't focus on the information. They focus on how did he present it? I don't feel like that was a, a spirit-led presentation. Those kind of people? Yeah. And do they have any intelligence to say? Um, well, it's just are, anti-intellectualism. <laughs> can you please say something intelligent? Or even a response or, uh, that isn't you know, emotional or judgmental? Oh, but you're not supposed to judge. Well, you just changed your mind again, didn't you? <clears throat> Well, I deal with the same thing. When, when I go to Muslims and I go to the uh, mosque and I, I try to deal with the heresies that these men are teaching behind their pulpits, they, they first want to deal with me because they're so confident in their position. But as soon as they start picking apart their religion right before their eyes, it's just, oh, I don't like the way you're dealing with the subject. I don't like the way you're talking to me. Even though I'm not showing any disrespect, I'm speaking calmly. I'm not using any swear words. They just need something 
they just uh, and see because they can't deal with my arguments, they're attacking my character and they're painting this image of me, which just isn't true. So yeah, I, I see that in in sort of my circle as well. By the way, uh, switching subjects here. Um, one thing I've never been able to really wrap my head around, I just haven't quite applied myself yet, is the subject of uh, gin. Okay. Gins, yeah. Do you know very much about that? I, I know what the Quran says. I've studied that. What, what they would you like they to make know? a proper distinction between jinn and uh, demons. What, what, what exactly are the jinn? What, what do you think the jinn are? Muslims? The jinn. I don't know what if do Muslims think? make a distinction between jinns and demons, but the Quran does not. The okay. Quran teaches uh, <clears throat> the categories that exist, as far as we know, are God, obviously, and he is uh-huh. on his own. He has no other. Then there's uh, humans, angels, and jinns. And jinns are the demons. Satan okay. is a jinn, according to the Quran. Okay, the reason and, and these, aren't, these aren't These aren't abstract beings. In fact, jinns have a material existence. They're made of smokeless fire, according to the Quran. Okay. There was this lady that came on Coast to Coast AM. I think she passed away. I hope I'm, I'm not getting the wrong lady. Her name was Rosemary Ellen Guiley, I think. And she was the number one person out there that I've ever heard talking about the gin. But I, I, I think, you know, she didn't have like, um, she probably wasn't giving me the exact Muslim position. I think they may have different views anyway. So it always sounded yeah, fascinating. But see, I'm, um, even though I criticize the, the proof text method, ideally, mm-hmm. that is the best method if you have sufficient if the text is sufficiently trustworthy, I mean, that's what you would normally do, try to prove things with the text. You know what I mean? And the problem is, unless the jinn are some kind of creature that's in the Bible that says something different, uh, the Bible doesn't say anything. So, like, there's no authority, you know? So that's why I'm just kind of, hmm. I can't trust anything. You know what I mean? I don't know if it was just manufactured out of thin air for some diabolical purpose. We're talking, you know, Mr. Satan. Yeah. I don't know. But I theorize that they actually, um, it's it, um, a species of uh, spiritual beings that um, they may have knowledge about, and it just kind of got lost along the way. I always believe that people used to know these things, because Adam knew everything, pretty much, and he passed it down to his children. You know, he had the new cosmology, see? This is why these flat earthers, man, they could pick up a few uh, insights here. I mean, obviously people used to know all these things. So actually, you want you to mention go... Adam having this knowledge. You mentioned Adam having this knowledge, and actually in the Quran, it doesn't explain what it means by this, but it says that the reason Adam was superior to the angels and the angels were asked to submit themselves to Adam, that's the Quranic story, the reason they were asked to submit was because Adam was uh, taught by God the names of things. That's the wording the Quran used, and I don't know what that means. That's because Adam was given because, some um... knowledge. Some knowledge. I haven't talked about this yet. I don't know if you've listened to enough audio, but uh, we try to get revelation on things. And it's a very elaborate, sophisticated method. I'll just tell you flat out, it's more sophisticated than anything I've ever heard, ever. For instance, I, for years I used a method, which you'll see on Wikipedia, called bibliomancy. You can look it up. And I developed a much more sophisticated system. You know, the simplified one is just simply you open up a book 
and look to see if your eyes fall on something that's significant to what you're thinking about now. And most Christians will tell you that this happens to them at least you know, one, two, three times in their life. They, they believe in it. And I can understand I call this. this. Yeah, I wouldn't call that revelation because I kind of do a similar thing. Like, a lot of the times I don't read the Quran in order. I just open it up on a random page, and more often than not, it's relevant to what I'm going through in okay. my life. Well, so, when it gets to what I'm talking about, it definitely is a revelation. If it's going to happen or not, and if it happens, it's going, it's going to be supernatural. Now, here's why it has to be supernatural. Now, it, could be, it could be a demon doing it, but it's, it's not the human element is not involved. So I started using this little book um, called Streams in the Desert. It's a Christian devotional work from the 1920s, and it has some kind of um, anointing on it. It's hard to explain. Anyway, uh, that's another subject, feeling God. Um, Muslims are, can only have one of two positions. One position is the Christians are the demons are doing it because Muslims do not feel the presence of God as much as Christians do. You may disagree with that. There's probably something you haven't thought about. I, I, too I totally agree with that. I never, ever have felt the presence of God in my life. Well, we have massive experiences. I, I See, I'm a mystic myself. I've had uh, unbelievable experiences, and they're rare, very rare it, with someone who's an intellectual because God doesn't give that combination. They either get one or the other. You know what I mean? I talked about that I with Joshua. Deny that. I deny myself any knowledge of the unseen. God has not revealed it to me. In fact, God even denied Muhammad knowledge of the unseen. He even denies it himself in the Quran. So I know God exists intellectually because that's the only logical conclusion, because atheism is a load of hooey, but I've never felt God. Let's put it that way. That's been my experience, though. Uh-huh. I put that in the podcast wow. title right one time, Feeling God. Okay, so anyway, back to Bibliomancy. So um, I create a very sophisticated system slowly over the years. And what you do, you create a yes or no question, but you, you create a, a short list of key words. Now, you could do this not knowing that a particular word is actually in the book. But typically, you know these words are in there, but they're not in there very much. You don't want to use words that are used very often. And here's the reason why. If you ask a yes or no question, and these words start showing up, there's no way to prove that wrong. You're immediately confronted with the supernatural, and this goes back to what I said earlier, random mathematical, <clears throat> um, uh, math mathematical redundancy. Now, the more it happens, and it happens for years, it backs a person into a corner. It becomes completely absurd at some point to say that this is coincidence. You can't prove it's demons, but a Muslim would just say it anyway because Christianity is a false religion. Uh, but there's no way for a Christian to prove it wrong. They just say, well, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with the answer, so therefore it was wrong. You're talking to something dark or something, you know what I mean? Uh, but it's, it's completely, utterly magical. And, and I would write all this information down. Now, I've never seen anybody do this historically. I would just... I would just say be careful with this extra-biblical revelation stuff that you're receiving from God, because you don't know where you're getting this from. Okay. But you have no knowledge there. That's what Christians always say. Stuff. The counterbalance for that argument is, you know what the Bible says about, you know, seeking extra-biblical revelation? Is it cautionary? This is nothing. What Christians are going to do, they're going to go to First John 2, and they're going to say, test the Spirit, Right? I don't even know what they're talking about, because there's a lost doctrine 
of the unholy spirit. That's what the Antichrist spirit is. It's a single spirit that all the other spirits are a part of. So it's like, you know, a single thing that has plurality. It's not either or. Like the cloud of witnesses in the latter part of the book of Hebrews. Clearly, everyone can see. Same thing is true with like the body of Christ. Okay? It's one thing, but it involves multiplicity. Okay? And uh, I'm just saying that, that they have their unholy spirit. And all I have to do is throw the theory out there. I'm not going to prove anything. They say, how do you know this is not talking about trying to discern whether it's talking about the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirit? They're going to look at me like, what you just say? You know why? They've never even thought about the unholy spirit. They don't talk about it. They don't try to refute it. This happens over and over and over again. Obviously, something is stunted. Things are not developing. If you're not even um, condemning something, if you haven't heard of something, how are you supposed to explain this when this is happening over and over and over again? Well, there are explanations, and the explanation has to do with God. God is withholding truth, and he's doing it way more than Christians can even possibly imagine. And they are suffering right now. And I believe the whole world is suffering because I believe the Bible teaches that the world will be blessed through Israel. Through Israel. You better believe that Israel over there has nothing to do with no, that, that, that That freaking atheist democracy, no. whatever state, that, that, that's a total fraud. See, I, my ministry, which has not even started yet, that's secular why I'm democracy or whatever it is. Sorry, I didn't mean atheist. I meant secular. My ministry, which has not even started yet, has to do with the um, the new exodus. Okay, there's going to be a new exodus, which is bigger and better and more flamboyant and more miraculous, and all these things are explicitly taught in the Bible uh, without spiritualizing anything. That's what Christians do. They just spiritualize the text because they've never even heard of this before. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is because the, I don't know how long the period will be, but it'll be relatively long. But eventually, um, God's people will come back to Israel, uh, which I believe used to be uh, located in Western Turkey. There's evidence for this. You've got to remember that letters to the seven churches were all in Turkey. <laughs> that just makes people suspicious just a little bit. Can we get suspicious? No. They just believe what they're told. You know what I mean? And so anyway, um, if, if they have to come back and they have to, um, the land has to be restored, then, 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 then you're going to have the Battle of Gog and Magog. This is right there in Ezekiel 38. Christians are so out of the loop. They, they believe in Armageddon, right? So they, they have to believe that the Battle of Gog and Magog is before that because they're forced to do that exactly what they do. They will place it at the beginning of the seventh tribulation period. But no, go look at the text. After the people were brought back from this exodus, which it mentions in great detail in Ezekiel 20, by the way. Okay? That's when that battle occurs. And after that battle, it expressly states that these kind of things will never occur anymore. You know, the nations will be in subjection to Israel, which is a royal nation. And you look at uh, Islam, they just don't have a, 
uh, Israel mentality. If anything, they got anti-Israel. Do they talk about being Israel? That's that's who they're supposed to be. Otherwise, these are failed prophecies. You see? Now, I don't know how they're going to get out of that conundrum. Another thing, too, I mean, uh, they can't prove that Matthew 17 was... Well, simply... Simply, we, we could say that that was added in, that they, these are traditions. These are that's what you have to do every single time, just like the Mormons. Yeah, that's, what Muslim, gotta, that's what Muslims do. Well, what you do, if you've got a passage that conflicts with your religion, and you've got somewhat of a liberal mindset, uh, you'll say, well, the text was corrupted. See, Christians don't like to admit the text was corrupted, so they don't, they don't like to do that. They just go a more simple route. They just, they're just in denial. Anything that's not compatible with their religion, they say... That's strange doctrine. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Um, I, I agree. I, I agree. I agree only in half with what the Muslims say. When they say that these parts of the Bible were exaggerated and Israel was blown out of proportion, I agree with that. But I disagree with their practice of using the Bible to prove the Quran is true. That's ridiculous. If you're going to deny parts of the Bible, then you can't use the Bible to prove the Quran is true. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not a practice I take part in, because I'm sure you've seen these Muslim apologetics. They'll point, no. they'll point to verses in the Bible that quote-unquote talk about Muhammad. I, I don't believe that. That's nonsense. Maybe you're not familiar with Muslim apologetics, so. I haven't paid a lot of attention to it, to tell you the truth. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, I, I would say it's corrupted over the years, but we're, we're not trying to prove the Quran through the Bible. The way I would say, or what I would recommend to your audience is read the Bible and read the Quran and follow whichever one makes more sense to you. It's that simple. Whichever well, one ask, answers the most questions. Let me ask you this question. I was going to ask you this before you just said that. Do you think that the belief in the Quran is essential? No. Okay, but isn't that what Islam teaches? That's what Islam teaches, but it's not what the Quran teaches. Okay, so well, that's a pretty teaches. major disagreement. Because the, the Quran says that Jews will be justified on Judgment Day, that Christians, or Nazarenes, the Quran, that's the word it uses, will be justified on Judgment Day. It doesn't matter what religion you profess, and you can follow previous scriptures. The Quran affirms them, in fact. It says that they're part of the tradition. So long as they believe in God in the last day and do good works, and, of course, they believe in one God and they don't ascribe a partnership, they'll be justified. It's not exclusive to the Quran. It in, uh-huh. in fact, the Quran encourages in, in Muhammad in his uh, ministry. He encourages, or God orders him to encourage Jews to follow the scripture which they already have. Just don't deny what Muhammad has. Don't be hostile towards him. But you're free to follow what you have. That is guidance. You can be justified through it. Okay, but if you as far as I'm concerned, a if, Jew who follows the commandments, and he's my brother. I would say. Now, I'm going by what uh, Islam teaches here, but let's say that you, what, what, what if you just simply deny that Muhammad was a prophet? Are you doomed? You're doomed, aren't you? I'm trying to, th- I'm, I'm trying to recall Quranic verses. I'm trying to think about that. Are you doomed or are you not? Uh... You have to embrace him, you know. <clears throat> mm. I think... I think you have to leave the Muslims be on that. Um, I think that a Jew who's agnostic on the issue of Muhammad, uh, 
uh, I think it can be justified. But if you are actively hostile towards the Quran and you're trying to destroy it from existence and you're attacking Muslims, then yeah, I think you're going to hell. Okay. So if you're agnostic on the issue, I believe okay, God well, will look over there's that. There's all kinds of ways to sink Islam uh, very quickly, and uh, it's like Humpty Dumpty, you cannot repair it. Um, and the only thing that you can do, anybody can do this, is make a claim. You can never be able to prove anything. Well, the text became corrupted. The same thing with dealing with Mormons. Because there's nothing else you can do, because these texts back you in the corner and say, is there anything left? I said, well, I, I think it was corrupted. Okay. Anybody can do that. You don't have to have any talent. <laughs> you don't have to be as first. Well, that, well, that's what, well that, that is what the Quran says. It says it came to correct those differences. It acts as a, it actually, the verse says that it acts as a control over the Bible. Okay. So all the exaggerations and stuff within the... So I believe whatever is in the Bible, that's in line with the Quran. I start with the Quran, and I use that as a control over it. So, all right, like, let's say the Bible says, Hero Israel, your Lord thy God is one. I believe that because that's in line with the Quran. I'd say that's an accurate statement, and that's historically true. That was revealed. But when the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God, that contradicts the Quran. Um, I don't believe it. So that's kind of my methodology, and that's what the Quran says. So. Okay, well, so um, a lot of Christians who would be un- unfamiliar, you know, that, um, that in Islam they actually talk about, you know, Jesus in a future prophetic context, and he's actually going to come back. They've got different views. I did a kind of a crummy short podcast uh, in room two about Islamic mm-hmm. eschatology. And the reason I did that is because um, some guy asked me a question about it, and he's helped me out financially, so I felt like I should do something but it would uh, take too much writing, so I decided to just put in audio format. I, uh, I, I just want to tell you something. Muslims, uh-huh. they get their eschatology totally, totally wrong. Their entire eschatology, it's derived from other sources that are not the Quran. The Mahdi, the Jesus coming back, all of this stuff, nowhere in the Quran. These are later inventions. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Uh, that's very so important. You're, you're, now, right, right next to that podcast um, is another one that I've uploaded from a guy called Chris White. And he went into great detail about uh, the origins of Islamic eschatology. I think you might like to listen to that. But I'm sure he was making that, yeah. A, yeah, a similar claim there. Yeah. yeah, I would love to listen to that. Because I know, I'm sure you've heard Muslims say that Jesus is coming back and the Messiah, and he's going to fight it out with the Antichrist. Nowhere. Nowhere is the Antichrist <laughs> mentioned in the Quran. Nowhere is Jesus coming back. Nowhere is that mentioned in the Quran, and none of it. There's no savior figure. The Quran, after Muhammad, all the savior figures are done, according to the Quran. Okay, well, that's not good for the Quran. Okay, because... Um, Again, see, the only thing you can do is claim corruption problems. But, you know, if you have to do that too often, that tells you there may be a problem at your end. I don't mean you. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it goes. No, anyway, go ahead. Go ahead and say it. I, I don't mind. You can come at this from all kinds of different angles. I'm an expert on the subject. So uh, in Ezekiel, let's go back to Ezekiel 34. Well, I, I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see what the problem is with that because you, you go on and on about all the corruptions in the Bible. No, I have a... Uh, my real problem, and that you're not sure you're not sure what's in it that's true and not. You have no methodology, and you'll admit well, it. Well, see, I so. know. How many times have I defended the Bible tonight? A little bit. I could do another podcast where I spend the whole time defending the Bible. See, this is I told you it's a bit, it's a giant middle position. I defend the Bible, and the I also expose the problems with it. 
But see, also you're Quran, hearing that the, the I, Quran does a, the Quran does the Quran does the same thing though. It defends the Bible. It says that this was a revealed guidance, but it criticizes it. It says that it's been changed. If you go back and and listen to everything I said, you'll notice that most of the time, I'm not actually critiquing or criticizing the Bible. I'm critiquing the Christian interpretation of the Bible, which is a different subject. You got to distinguish between those two. Because I have Hassan compared to the view of Christianity. You got to understand. Any prophet that would have came from the ancient world and looked at this massive corrupt mess, you don't even know what they would say. It'd be worse than what I would say. And Christians need to realize that. They would be condemned. If Jesus showed up today, he would not, I don't think he'd have any compliments. You know how many times that Jesus complimented his disciples in the scriptures? Never. I never took note of it. I don't think he's going to, Christian. <laughs> I think he's going to show up and go, you've been guys been doing such a great job of holding down the fort. And all that. No, he's not going to say anything good. He's going to condemn you. Now, I'm going to take it to a different level, okay? I, the church is so incredibly corrupt, I'm not even sure if they would deserve condemnation. Because the condemnation has to do with something that God acknowledges, Okay. You gotta to deserve to be condemned, like you know the, the seven churches that were under apostolic guidance. These people today are just fly by night Christians. They just kind of make it up as they go and uh, follow the pastor, and then you know I'm gonna say and make it up as you go. You have your own little belief systems. I don't want to believe everything my pastor says, but they don't think thoroughly or investigate thoroughly, and their their thoughts are not well thought out. You can easily prove it. It's like a house of cards; you just collapse it. I could just ask them a question. You ever heard the theory that all religions are corrupt and false, uh, but Christianity is the best one? You ever heard that theory? Never even heard. You yeah. think that's the important yeah, subject? It, it, uh, you it, better it, believe actually, it. it's, That theory is called Pastor Stephen Anderson, because that's exactly what he believes. All religions are corrupt except for his, his Baptist Christianity. Oh, no, but I'm saying that uh, that includes everything. So there's no exceptions. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it simply doesn't that. qualify is what we'll say. It's kind of problematic, you know, false, true, you know, it's overly simplistic. But if you can reduce it to that level, there's no, uh, there's no true religion. Uh, in, it, it, nothing holds up to God's standards. Okay. But just like Second Temple Judaism, remember Jesus, um, he went to the temple. He participated in the synagogue service. He wasn't like in a scene who said it's all corrupt the temple was corrupt it's um we despise the temple and we're going to go out in the wilderness jesus didn't do that he referred to it as my father's house remember when he was throwing out the uh, <clears throat> people out of the temple he still says it's my father's house the essenes that would have they would have been horrid by the way you can't even prove the essenes exist <laughs> um, I actually think they. Oh yeah. Well, well, okay. well, one one thing though, we can sit here all day and all night and talk about what we can't prove and all the problems. And I understand that there, are, the problems are legion. But what are we going to do with this knowledge? Because it just it seems like an ineffectual plan to say that we can't prove anything. What what are we going to do with what we do know? The little. Well, that this we is do the condition that we're well, in. Because so, I'm inter- I'm interested in solutions. I want to fight the okay. scam system. And uh, there are no so, there's no solutions. The solution is the prophet, and he's the Messiah, according to the Christian Bible. 
Okay, so let me go what back to we that. Do until, what, do we do, me, what do we do until then, though? There's no solutions. People always want solutions. I've heard enough. I've heard enough negativity. I want some solutions. And I'll come out and say there are none. This is a slave society. You're a slave. And this is the punishment from God. And you're suffering just like everybody else. And you, just like everybody else, you want deliverance. You want problem solved. No. No problem solving. God is the problem solver. And he's deliberately not solving these problems because that's part of the curse. Do you understand? They don't understand that. They go, what? <laughs> so I got to... Allow me to ask another question, just some food for thought. Suppose you are incorrect about this, and let's say that there's no profit coming, and it w- wouldn't that be just a, a shame? You were waiting on your belly for a profit to come to fix everything, and nothing ever happened, and you were just kind of steamrolled over by the world and the system? Wouldn't we can always postulate that. It talks about this in First uh, Corinthians 15. It says, uh, if Christ is not being resurrected, we're all the greatest of fools, because... Um, there's two different risks you can take. You heard of Blaise Pascal. He talked about the risk of the atheist or the skeptic. Uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to take the risk that hell doesn't exist. That is a risk, okay? He said it's best to live if it's true. And, you know, that's really hard to do. Yeah, but, I've, heard that, I've, heard that, I've heard that argument. But if that is true, um, he, he would be right. In the end, just like it'd be better to cut off a member of your body to actually prevent yourself from going to hell, even though it sounds totally crazy. But if that, Jesus is saying it could work. You know what I mean? And by the way, it's not your penis, it's your, it's your tongue that's the primary problem. <laughs> Although for some it might be the penis, I don't know. But um, James said that. Yeah, maybe for Drake. James said that's the, that's the member of the body that causes the most trouble. It says no man can control the tongue. Because it sets the world on fire, he's using hyperbola there. Um, let me spit this out because I got to get this out. Okay, because you said that um, Jesus is not prophesied in the uh, coming in the Bible. Say that again. Jesus is not prophesied as coming in the future. Point, point of command. No, he's not. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I got I got to talk about this for a little bit. So there's this really interesting passage in Ezekiel 34. All you got to do is take it literally, and it's talking about the present time. Okay? Uh, and by the way, i, I got to say something. You know, I mean, Muhammad is inferior to John the Baptist. Okay? Muhammad is... Well, Jesus said, among those born of women, no one who has risen is greater than John. No. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a familiar with that verse, yes. You cannot use any text to prove that um, things have changed and Mohammed's superior to uh, John. Well, you right. just said John is, in, or said John is superior to Muhammad. My question would be, what criteria are you using to determine this? Well, I'm not even going to bother to prove it. I'm saying that the revelation that they were getting back then was superior. Even just, if you set the apostles aside, you have John the Baptist and you have Jesus. They're both superior to Muhammad, but they're trying to claim they have superior revelation to a man who's inferior to both. I deny that. The, the, the Quran says that we don't make any difference between the prophets. So that, that's my What position. prophets? The prophets that have come throughout history, Abraham, Jesus, Muhammad, Adam. I, I don't make a distinction what is that, between What does that mean when it says that they don't make any difference? That doesn't sound very explicit to me. 
Well, the context of it is that we don't say that anyone is greater than the other. Anyone's revelation is more valuable than the other. We don't okay, make well, those kinds can, of distinctions. They can say whatever they want, according to the tradition. But the fact remains that there's nothing that God created that is equal. Everything is unequal. And it's impossible to prove that any two things are precisely equal. It's a fool there and They're different human beings. Well, yeah, it is impossible for me to prove it, but because God told me in the Quran, I accept it as fact and dogma. It's not talking about that. That's just talking about a tradition that they don't, they don't do that. Kind of like Christians do, like, you're not supposed to judge. And so they're just talking about, you know, we don't talk about this prophet's greater than that prophet, you know. That's what they're talking about there. Well, saying because you're not supposed people, to judge well, is a, mean, it's a, it's a meaningless statement. No, it's not meaningless because uh, the Bible itself says that uh, it put Moses on a higher level and distinguished him in the category one. He was the only one where God spoke to face to face. Didn't even happen with Jesus. That doesn't sound like equality. I'm saying the way the, mo- the, way the modern person says it because they, they they just throw that term. Oh, you shouldn't judge in, in a moral vacuum. And if you do that, it's meaningless because you're saying that I shouldn't judge, but you're judging me for judging. And if we go through life without making judgments, we're going through life without making any decisions. When I, I, when I get to a red light, I, I have to make a decision whether I should drive right. through that intersection or not. Judgment is decision. So when you throw that out in a moral vacuum, it's meaningless. Well, if you give it context, if you give it bi- biblical or Quranic context, then you have something going. Otherwise, there's nothing. It's completely idiotic. So that would be... Because the Bible says well, that... What, what I, what, you're supposed to judge in certain contexts, and other contexts you're not supposed to judge. The Christians are uneducated. They yeah, don't you know have to give it con- Yeah, they throw it out in a moral vacuum. Jesus said to judge righteous, righteous judgment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Some guy just yells at me through the window. That's that kind of... No, I'm not, not going to prove anything here. That's that kind of demonic reaction. The deep... The demons, they get stirred up. Okay, so let me go over this. In Ezekiel 34, it's, actually, it's one of these rare passages in the Bible where it's actually talking about this particular historical period. But what I mean, that, I mean by that is talking about the period of time from the first century up until our day. Now, the reason we know that is because the things that it says there have not come to pass yet. It talks about this uh, prince, and it says that his name is David. Okay, and then it, uh, re- it, it says the people have no uh, shepherd. Okay, so in the future, they'll be given a shepherd. Right now, they have no shepherd. And this is a long period of time. And then it reintroduces him again in Ezekiel 37. And it says that he's a king. And it says David. Then it reintroduces him again in Ezekiel 43. It doesn't say his name this time because it's already been introduced. It turns out that he's a high priest. Okay, I'm assuming, obviously, that they do not teach that he is a coming high priest of the future Islamic religion. But this is right in the Bible, and the curses are wrong too. They don't feel bad because it says that he makes sacrifices for his own sins. That's what it says. He's the high priest, and he makes sacrifices for his own sins. In Ezekiel 45:22. Now, they're claiming this is Christ. They say that this is... I just lost him again. I'll wait for him to call that. 
If he doesn't call back uh, soon, I'll end this, but I'll explain what I'm saying there just for him. You guys have heard this before. I prefer uh, to wait until he comes back here. Anyway, I can restate it. I got a feeling he may not come back this time. I don't know why. But um, hopefully he'll listen to the end of this. But um, there's passage after passage after passage. It's in a future context. And, um, okay. Hello? Yeah. Yeah, cut out again. Also, one one thing before you start, I just wanted to ask. Are you recording this? Yeah. But if you don't want it to okay. be public, I won't. it's up to you. No, no, I actually hope for it to be public. It's in a secret. <laughs> uh, well, I'm trying to record it. They fail a lot. First of all, my phone... Fine. My phone, is, my phone is supposed to record it, and it doesn't do it consistently. It only records my voice for some reason. And then sometimes I'll have problems with talk shit. I see. We'll, we'll see. But well, you'll try to send me the audio if you can, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I got problems right now because I don't have a working computer. Uh, I actually do have an old desktop, but I can't get any sound on it, so I can't edit audio. I mean, it has no sound. I don't know if it's a sound card or what. I mean, I'm so frustrated with this thing. I'm not good with that kind of thing. Anyway, I'll just tell you right now. The eschat- you already said it yourself. They have a false eschatology. They're blind about the future. There's passage after passage after passage about this David figure. It's also David in different books. It's all in the future. It wasn't fulfilled in the first century. It's also called the branch and other things. It has nothing to do with the first century. And it's not compatible with um, their religion. So they just ignore it, uh, like Jehovah's Witness, or spiritualize the text if any pressure is applied, or make the same claim as Mormons, well, the text must be corrupted, because this is not what we believe. Well, once you do that too many times, you're just thinking yourself. I mean, you have to keep appealing to corruption, despite the fact you can't prove one single thing. What does that tell you? That's not an apologetic, right? That's just a defense mechanism to temporarily, uh, okay, let's move on to the next subject here. Because <laughs> I don't have any answers, except for that. And I can't the Christian? I'm talking about anybody that appeals to corruption in order to solve the problem. For instance, i got this lady, she's a friend of mine, she's been on the show, and she's trying to prove that Christians are supposed to be vegetarian, Jesus was a vegetarian, God would never allow blood sacrifice, and there's no sacrifices, and on, on, on. You know, it's a number of things. It's impossible for her to refute. And I started off with, um, well, you can go to, you know, sacrifice a cane and eagle. You know what she said? She said, well, that, that, I think that was a, um, uh, a biblical corruption. You know why? Because she had to. Unless <laughs> you want to spiritualize the text. You have to. And then, you know, tell me what this profound spiritual meaning is. Even if they think they can come up with one, what you do, you get about a 30, a group of about 30 of these type of people. And you put them in different rooms, and then you have them come up with, a, you know, the interpretation, the spiritual interpretation, the Holy Spirit revealed to you, you know, it's not to be taken literally. It's actually a spiritual interpretation. Okay, think about this for a few hours, and we'll all get back together, and you can tell us uh, what the Holy Spirit revealed to you. And, you know, we're going to get massive confusion. It's not the Holy Spirit because everybody has a different view. Because that's not, it's not, you're not supposed to spiritualize the text. It's supposed to be taken literally. I'm a biblical literalist, okay? As a general rule, this is a bit of a 
lower simplification, but you never spiritualize the test unless it's obvious, like in the apocalyptic literature. Um, you go with the context. Unless there's a reason to do it, you interpret it literally. And that's how cults are built. Sometimes by crazy women. <laughs> that really happens. So. Well, then, if, if you're just going to interpret everything spiritually as opposed to literally, then there's literally no point in uh, paying lip service to the Bible. You're just believing what you want and strawing the Bible through your own presumptions. Well, I want to say, you know, if they want to do that, fine, but then tell me what the meaning is. Does it have to have some kind of meaning? Or why would God even... See, God's not going to put something in the Bible anywhere unless some, someone at some point in history will understand it. So even if the meaning is lost today, at some point in distant past, somebody knew what this meant. Otherwise, it has no point. So obviously it has a meaning. They cannot tell you what the meaning is with any kind of consistency, and that's because it's not uh, you're not supposed to spiritualize that. <laughs> There's people out there that want to spiritualize everything in the book of Revelation. It's completely idiotic, because they don't understand there's seven angels that stand before the throne. He talks about that um, in the book of Tobit. Raphael is speaking. And then Chris is about, Raphael is not in my Bible. <laughs> so they don't trust the text. Mm-hmm. Again, not knowing that actually, um, the King James <laughs> 1611 version actually has the apocryphal. One thing, I have to be home in like five minutes because I've actually been out for a long time. Yeah, I should get going here. So, <laughs> yeah. But I appreciate talking to you, and I appreciate you having me on your show. Yeah. Yeah, check out that podcast from Chris Wright in room two. And, uh, mm-hmm. Also, one quick question before I go. Did you enjoy talking to me, or was I an asshole? How, how was your experience? No, no, I enjoy talking to almost everybody. Mm-hmm. No, you're okay. fine. Because, uh, I mean, we, 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 we did get into some heated disagreement. No, I, that, that's, that, it, see, when you're talking to another person that's heated with me, it's just like normal, but I don't think that way. Uh, things get heated with me all the time. Everybody gets heated with me because I start talking fast, and everything heats up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's always uh, okay. Good. It's always a heated conversation. For right, instance, you know, we had we had we had some issues earlier. You know, talking over ourselves because both of us had a lot to say. It's hard to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a heated conversation. Yeah, you could talk about these things endlessly. Absolutely, off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. All night long. Yeah, so I've, I've done this for decades, and everyone falls asleep out of physical fatigue. And I keep going, and go, oh, he fell asleep, and I stop. So, you know, but yeah, I've got to go now, so take okay. care. Yep. And maybe we could do this again sometime. Oh, I'll sure. do more research, though, into some of the things you, you mentioned, like the predestination thing. You've got me thinking and doubting. Yeah, it's just a simple word, so it means what it says. But yeah, I got I to gotta head home now, so see you. Okay, take Bye. care. Good talking to you. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.